Welcome in, everybody, on this super wild card weekend here to McCartan After Midnight, special edition here of McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan. Good morning, New York sports fans. As you know, I'm Daniel McCartan, McCartan After Midnight, talking all things New York sports until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night. If you're still out and about, I saw nobody. There were no cars on the road. Maybe you're working, working on a weekend. Like usual, like me and Pat are as well. So you guys know that phone number, 877-337-6666. Let's please load them up with your best content only. Coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in lower Manhattan. Oh, I've noticed that the the cardboard cutouts in here have been rearranged. The Jonas Brothers are now in the corner with that person that I still don't know who it is on the left-hand side. So if you guys want to help me out with that, uh, by all means, tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. For tonight's show in the 3 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by John Marks, who is the co-host of the Afternoon Drive show at Sports Radio 94 WIP, our sister station in Philadelphia. And I will represent Giants Nation, and let's bring it to him uh, about the, the horrible tank job that the Philadelphia Eagles pulled last weekend. It's the first time I'm talking to you guys since then. Uh, and also in the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by Joe DeMeo, SNY TV contributor and host of the That's So Mets podcast who I shared the stage with a few years ago at the Queens Baseball Convention, and we've kept in touch ever since. So um, looking to pick his brain on the Lindor trade, Lindor-Carrasco trade, and what the Mets had given up um, for for them in, in the meantime. So um, we're going to take these topics in the order in which they occurred in this monologue here since the last time I've been on air with you guys. We'll go from most recent to least recent. And before we get going with tonight's soundtrack, it would be obviously remiss of me not to mention the passing of Tommy Lasorda, an absolute baseball lifer and legend. I actually never met him personally, which is a real huge regret of mine, um, especially after all hearing about everything that everybody says about him you know, on, on the news the past couple of days. Um, his managerial career was actually over before I even graduated from elementary school. Uh, I'm just going to have to dif- take a different angle tonight. Instead of the Mets t-shirt that you guys voted on for me to wear in a landslide vote on Twitter earlier in the week, like Tuesday, I guess. Tonight, I'm actually wearing, and McMonagle, if you were listening, um, alluded to it. I'm wearing an L.A. Dodgers cap and an official Italia baseball t-shirt. A fellow Abruzzese, Lasorda, was inducted into the National Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame in 1989. He had been an invaluable resource to the Italian-American baseball community, including to our Italian-American Baseball Foundation ever since ever since its inception, really. So, riposa in pace, Signor Lasorda. So, from Tommy Lasorda and the West Coast to the New York Mets and the East Coast, we go. Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York. It's been waiting. So, I only pull this song out for players, coaches, and front office people that come to New York, and that's Taylor Swift, by the way, that have true star-staying power. I think the last one I pulled it out for was maybe Joe Judge or Sabrina Ionescu. I was trying to remember, but one or one or both of the two of them. But I'm definitely dusting it off for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. The Mets Thursday afternoon pulled off one of the biggest trades in Mets history when they sent prospects Isaiah Green and Josh Wolf and major league starters Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez to Cleveland for superstar shortstop Lindor and True number two starting pitcher, Carlos Carrasco. The social media reactions coming from the Mets peanut gallery were fast and furious. Marcus Stroman, he's always good for a quote here. He wrote, I'm turnt right now. Noah Syndergaard, also good for a quote. 
He said there must be a glitch in the matrix. That's kind of a uh, low-key um, swipe at the Wilpons, we shall say. Trevor May said this would make it impossible for me to face him, so I'm cool with that. And then Mike Piazza obviously chimes in and says this offseason has the same energy as 98 and 99. And the Mets, of course, made the 2000 Subway World Series. In that song I just played for you, Swift sings, a part of the song is, the lights are so bright, but they never blind me. Lindor specifically was built to play baseball in New York City. And instead, I have the feeling that he's going to relish, welcome, want the spotlight. He brings in energy and an excitement to a team already full of it. And I point to players like Jeff McNeil and Brandon Nemo, in Italian, since I'm wearing the Italian baseball shirt, which, by the way, Jared Porter did a masterful job in retaining so far the both of them. Where shortstop defensively had been a major Achilles heel of the New York Mets, Lindor represents the River Sticks, dipping and taking the entire team for a dip. See that? That's uh, mythology for you. He made one error last season for crying out loud. He won. He and Carlos Correa were tied atop the defensive fielding percentage for shortstops last season. Oh, and a nice little add-on to that deal for the Mets was Carlos Carrasco. According to team president Sandy Alderson, Carrasco was not discussed in the initial trade talks, which began, by the way, in November. It's now January 10th. Carrasco was diagnosed with leukemia in 2019. Maybe you didn't know that. He missed much of the season. He, he returned and won the AL Comeback player, the peer, uh, player of the Year. That's an easy selection. But let me tell you something. I, I ran some numbers, and some of my best work starts with the I ran some numbers, and I'm aware of that. But I went uh, full-on baseball nerd for you guys. Carlos Carrasco is as close to a 1B to Jacob deGrom's 1A that you could possibly get. Despite his record last year, and Mets fans know better than anyone that about records being non-indicative of the pitcher on the mound, if you didn't catch it, I'm alluding to DeGrom's Cy Young candidacy. Carrasco is coming off one of, if not the best, statistical year of his career. I know it was a short season. Hold your horses. I get it. But there are plenty of uh, of, of positives to his game. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there is, though, one glaring negative that I've uncovered in my studies. That I will leave for you as a cliffhanger right now. You're going to just have to stay locked in tonight. Now, are the Mets finished? Is their offseason done? The simple answer is no. They have room for one more move based on the dollar amount. So will it be George Springer? Will it be Brad Hand? Uh, Liam Hendricks? Chris Bryant? Trevor Bauer? Did I miss anybody, Mets fans? It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life. It's a new life for me. Oh, baby. The Jets plane landed at Newark Airport at 8.04 p.m. Sunday night. The best news that a Jets fan could ask for broke at almost exactly an hour later at 9.05 p.m. Bravo to Christopher Johnson for getting out in front of this and not waiting till Black Monday to fire Adam Gase. It is time for the New York Jets to finally use their hashtag, embody their hashtag of take flight. It is the dawning of a new day, a new life, and the Jets fans are feeling fine. I am not a Michael Buble fan, but this song encapsulated some of what I wanted to say to you guys about the departure of Adam Guru finally. I know there's only room for one song in this. I make the rules, but I, one song. 
here are a, a, a few of the other choices I was mulling over. And I played this for you once already about him. Carrie Underwood's rendition of Randy Travis's I Told You So, because I told you right here for two years that the guy was never a good hire and that he was destroying this team from the inside out. Then I considered a song by Alwak, Martin Jensen, and most notably Jason Derulo. It's Don't Cry For Me, because there is not one single Jets fan that is crying over that man's departure. Then, of course, I thought, well, maybe Cool in the Gang's celebration. That was also a choice. Because the hiring of a new coach is cause for celebration for Jets fans everywhere. And not just that, but the fact that the Jets fans could be celebrating so much more should they get it right this time around. But of course, there's the classic NSYNC, bye, 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 too. Gone are the days of being ranked last in all or most of the offensive categories. Gone are the days where you'd turn on the game and be surprised by a win. And gone are the days of looking up in the AFC East standings. Imagine, everybody, a Jets team that will no longer be shipping out its top talent to playoff contenders, as it had been under Adam Guru's tutelage. Imagine a Jets team that is a destination for the highest free agents on the market. And imagine a Jets team that nobody wants to play in the playoffs. The Jets are on the precipice of turning this franchise around, and they cannot afford to get it wrong this time. Adam Guru, in costing the organization the number one overall pick after an 0-13 start, left a parting gift that has a potential to set the franchise back an entire decade. We know. You know that this is a head coach and quarterback league. The Jets fans need to look no farther then Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, who dominated the AFC East for a large part of the last 19 years. 19 years. That's 60% of my entire life. So Peyton Manning, I have a message to you to deliver uh, from the Jets Nation. But out of it this time. Got it? So with all that being said, there are currently right now six head coach openings in the league. Which of them is most attractive? This is how I would rank them. Number one, the Chargers, number two, the Jaguars, number three, the Jets, and then Falcons, Lions, Texans. What are your rankings on the most desirable head coaching openings? Out of respect to Adam Guru, the man, as opposed to the coach, I did not come on the air, as you know, to speculate on any names, well, except for Bill Cower, that could possibly usurp him. I told you that while he still had the job, I was not going to go there. But now that he's gone, and this is the first time I'm here since that historic day, here we go. Up until now, the Jets have met with Eric Bieniemy, Marvin Lewis, Robert uh, Sala, and Joe Brady. The Jets will meet with later today, Sunday, Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable, Matt Eberflus, and Aaron Glenn on Monday. And sometime, according to Rich Chimini, now that I'm wearing the Italian shirt, Chimini, uh, they'll have interviews with Brandon Staley and Arthur Smith and Matt Campbell, and that's per Jason LaConfora. Matt Campbell, I put a cross out through on my paper right here. You know what I like about this list? That most, if not all of these guys, have NFL coaching experience. I think that is so important. I do not want this team to go after a collegiate coach. Christopher Johnson and Joe Douglas addressed the media this week, and there were some interesting takeaways that I gleaned while watching the entirety of each of their press conferences. Johnson said, this could take a few weeks. It could be quite quick. It's a little hard to tell at this point. I think that this is subliminal for 
We have our eyes set on a coach that's coaching the playoffs at the moment. They could be out right away, or they could play for a few more weeks. But when they're out, we're going to make a move to hire. That's what I think. You know what I also love from his press conference? This is Christopher Johnson's. We've talked about it on here before, that the Jets will be addressing the hierarchical issues within their organization. There needs to be a linear progression from head coach to GM to owner. And Johnson said a change in structure is under consideration, no question. Everything uh, everything is up in the air here, and this is one of the things that we are considering changing. Thank God. We know the Jets are home watching the playoffs from their couches, but you know, I really did not think that the Giants would be, too. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Help. And that someone for the New York Giants was the Philadelphia Eagles. Sunday, the Giants did their duty. They defeated the Cowboys 23-19, like I told you last week that they would. I almost actually got the score prediction right on the dot. The Giants left MetLife Stadium on Sunday believing that they were going to be playing this weekend. In fact, Joe Judge was actually watching the Washington-Philadelphia game from his office while studying game tape from the last time the Giants squared off against Tom Brady and the Bucks. The Philadelphia Eagles, though, had other plans. As you know, late in that game, down by three, they elected not to take the points. Instead, on fourth down. And they tried to score a touchdown on a janky bootleg play. It did not work. Turnover on downs. All of a sudden, head coach Doug Peterson, instead of letting Hurts try to drive back down the field and potentially win the game in a situation as close to a playoff game as the kid and the Eagles were going to sniff this season, Peterson pulls the quarterback that they just drafted 53rd overall in favor of Nate Sudfield, third-string quarterback. The Giants' playoffs hopes rested squarely on the shoulders of Nate Sudfeld, who was making his fourth ever appearance in an NFL game. Ridiculous. Just a ridiculous Bush League move. Out of Philly, they were saying that Sudfeld might have had the opportunity to play. Of course he was going to have to be ready to play, everybody. He's the backup quarterback after disgruntled Carson Wentz decided to sit this one out. Of course he had the opportunity to play. Of course he had to be ready. Giants players' live reactions from their couches were a Twitter. One, Eli Manning said, this is why we don't like the Eagles. Fletcher Cox had a little clap back and said, we don't like you either. Oh, but by the way, almost immediately after that game, Fletcher Cox was drinking on a private jet to somewhere with his girlfriend and Tori Deal from The Challenge on MTV. I saw it on her story. So how much does he really care for you, Fletcher Cox? Saquon Barkley said, can someone... Make it make sense to me what's going on. Golden Tate said, I think the Eagles just hate us more than Washington. That's the only thing that can make sense, right? Blake Martinez put a bunch of periods. But I'd like to say that Darius Slayton summed up my thoughts best. He wrote, this is sickening. Not just sickening that the Giants would not be making the playoffs, but sickening to the fact that the Eagles, in this ridiculousness, undermine the entire integrity of the game. Like the Astros. And they've seemed to have gotten off scot-free. Judge had this to say. Let me be very clear on this. We had 16 opportunities this year. That's it. It's our responsibility to take care of our opportunities and perform better and execute in the situations when they're on our plate. We don't ever want to leave our fate in the hands of anybody else. We are not going to make excuses as an organization. Not now. Not ever. We had our opportunities. 
Agreed. But needing help in the playoffs is not a novel concept. Just this weekend, the Colts needed a win and help, and they got in. The Bears needed a win from the Rams, and they got in. But I've had many people tweeting and texting me that the NFL should move to a lottery-style draft to prevent stuff like this from happening. No. Leave it alone. This is a totally quarterback-centric league, and you can have a bottom-quarter team in quarterback purgatory for an indefinite amount of time. You know how the NFL prevents this from moving forward? And this is not a novel concept. You play the games at the same time so that none of them know the outcome of the other one until the game is over. In fact, the Washington-Philadelphia game was flexed into the Sunday night football slot in Week 17. The NFL created this problem, and unfortunately, the Giants suffered because of its poor vision. We've had a slew of games today on, on the uh, Super Wild Card weekend. I was 3-for-3 three three in my picks today, everybody. I'm not patting myself on the back. Yes, I am. And the Giants have signed, and the Yankees have signed a bunch of minor league contracts. Where is DJ LeMahieu? Lots to do tonight. Lots to get to. I've set the table for you. It's time to eat. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on the fan in New York City. Wild Card Weekend continues today with another big triple header, beginning at 1230 with Baltimore at Tennessee, followed by Chicago at New Orleans, and wrapping up with Cleveland at Pittsburgh. All here on The Fan, Sport Radio 1019, WFAN-FM. Working on a weekend like usual, way off in the deep end like usual. Swear they passed us, they doing too much. Haven't done my taxes, I'm too turned up. Yeah, everybody, welcome back to McCartan After Midnight. Pat Boyle behind the glass. This is always our first song coming out of the opening monologue. I love it. We've got a little rhythm going here, everybody. Uh, I slept for about 60 minutes before the show started tonight. I think you could probably tell. It's not easy to sleep. You know, I'm always worried that my alarm's not going to go off and then I'm going to have Chris McMonagall doing an eight-hour show. I'm just very nervous. Um, but... The alarm, knock on wood, has always gone off, and here I am. I slept 60 minutes. It is super wild card weekend. We've had three games. I, I had a little parlay going. I, I was just feeling it. I, I had I my $5. I, I don't bet a million dollars, as you guys know. I had a $5 parlay going. The odds ended up being uh, plus 300. So game one, Colton Bills did not disappoint. Buffalo 27, Indianapolis 24. Um, I talk sometimes about my friend that lives in Las Vegas, Christina they're Bills fans, and some of the te- well, she was texting me the whole game, and um, early on, I mean, two oh eight p.m. She said, "We are going to blow this game." Is what she texted. I was laughing out loud. Uh, what else did she say? Um, 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 she said, "Oh, I said the Bills will win." She said, "Don't say that. You don't know." And then I kept saying, "Oh, well, Rivers is going to throw an interception," and then she kept saying, "Where, when, when, when." And then at one point, she said, we are going to turn it off. We are going to lose because we are losers. I said, what are you, nuts? I mean, that made me laugh out, laugh out loud. And then she was very upset about the fumble, very irate about the fumble. And a couple curse words in there. But the Bills pulled it off. I knew they would. Indy loses on a Hail Mary, an underthrown Hail Mary, should I add, from Phillip Rivers. Rams game, I had the Rams in the upset, um, and it was Rams 30, Seahawks 20. I actually picked L.A. because, you know, really, well, the Seahawks showed that they were human, actually. This is really what, how I, why I did this. When the Giants, the far inferior team, I don't think I'm in upsetting any Giants fans when I say that, with a backup quarterback, went to Seattle and took down the Seahawks 17-12. That's why I picked the Rams. And then, of course, Tom Brady and the Bucks 31 and um, Heineke and, and the Washington football team, a little bit surprising there. Um, 
his quarterback play, but they ended up putting up 23 points. Bucks win. I win. Sweep. I'm going to give you my picks for the Sunday games in a little bit, but we have a full call bank, so let it, let's get to the calls here. Let's go uh, in the order in which you call, as I always do. Mike in Lancaster, California. Mike in Lancaster, California. You are on the fan. Hey, what's going on, Daniel? How are you doing? Good, Mike. What's up? <laughs> Not much. Um, so I uh, just want to talk about the Jets. Uh, head coach yes. hire and stuff like Woo-hoo. that. I've been li- so so I've been listening all day uh, CBS Sports Radio because I listen on Radio dot com. Uh-huh. So I wasn't able to get the games, uh-huh. but like everybody's talking about like either college coaches or coordinators or whatever, and like it's got to be a quarterback guy, got to be a quarterback guy. And just my thoughts on it is, um, I'm a Jets and a Giants fan. Uh, surprisingly, me too, uh, Mike. People don't the, get it. I am too. No, yeah, like I grew up. My whole family was Giants fans, and. Yes. Uh, you know, I grew up loving the Jets, uh, Boomer, and then Wayne Corbett, Keyshawn yes. Johnson, Mike, like all of them. Mike, how old are you? Are you 32 like me? I'm uh, 35, 35. Oh, okay. A little bit older, but, yeah, but the same yep. thing. Like when yep. I played lacrosse on Long Island, I I, uh, I was a big uh, Jets fan. Yep. But uh, my thing with it is, like, I don't care about the head coach being the quarterback guy. And I, and I just want to get your thoughts on it because – I don't care about the head coach being a quarterback guy. Like Adam Gase was supposedly this quarterback guru, this oh. guy that was going to be able to whisper to Sam mm-hmm. Donald to make him good. I want somebody more like, you know, somebody that can like instill the, the heart of the team. And, you know, you get other people around you, maybe an offensive coordinator, somebody that can teach the quarterback and the offense how to mesh and the head coach himself needs to be more like a guy that's going to inspire the whole team and, and get people and a staff around them that can actually mesh everybody together instead of the head coach. And and the biggest, uh, I guess, example is, like, they're talking about uh, Urban Meyer, which yeah, I, no. I can't stand that guy. No. I can't stand that guy, but going to Jacksonville and being that guy, like, it's more of a headline guy than anything. But, you know, uh, building a program around – you know, a, a culture of success instead of like whether Justin Field blows everybody away and the Jets take him at two or not. I'm not. I'm not out on Sam Darnold. I just, Agreed. you know, to me the thing is, you need somebody that's going to be able to coach the team, regardless of the quarterback. Like, let's say somebody gets injured, you know, you want the other guy to be able to come in and do the same thing that the that the primary guy can do. You know, and that's just, I don't know. That's just kind of where I'm at, and I just want to get your thoughts on like, should we get somebody that's like more well-rounded and can, you know, do without just being a quarterback guy mm-hmm. and just an offensive mindset guy and somebody that can, like, establish a culture of, I don't know, winning and turning <laughs> things around and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, Mike, I'm going to I'm gonna let you go so you can hear the answer here, and I appreciate the call. Very um, insightful call there. Um, we are pretty much in agreement in a lot of things here. I, for the Jets, uh, the head coach, I do not want this, this next hotshot collegiate person okay I don't want it for the Jets I also agree with you in the sense that it needs to be somebody that is going to manage the entire team and I think the Johnsons told you that much they are looking for uh, it was Kim Jones that asked the question yes a CEO type is what they're looking for Johnson said he doesn't like the phrase CEO type but that is in fact what they're looking for because if you know anything about these Jets you know that Adam Gase Adam Guru who I call in a mocking way Adam Guru the quarterback whisperer he um only ran the offense. And then you had um, Greg Williams, who was running the defense, as if they were two separate factions. If you're a fan of the show and if you're a fan of mine, you know that I always advocate for coaches that empower their coordinators. 
The head coach should be the head of the organization, the CEO, and then you have your what, what's underneath it. I don't even know. CFOs, right? Whatever it is. Pre- presidents, I guess. Those are your coordinators. You trust your coordinators to make the right calls in the right situations. Make sure you guys are all on the same page. The Jets, I, I believe, are looking for somebody, and they should be looking for somebody like that. Now, you brought up Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, I think Urban Meyer to the Jags, I think, is totally a done deal. I mean, they met with him in person. And all if you know anything about the the search in the pandemic here, all of the first-round ones have been done um, virtually, online. So the fact that they met with him in person already in Jacksonville makes me think that it's pretty much a done deal there. And I, I really, I'm expecting the notification to come through my phone really any day now. I mean, sooner rather than later. A uh, couple of the other names thrown around. I'll give you my top two. Right now, my top two choices for the New York Jets head coach vacancy would be, one, Eric Bieniemy. Um, I've got some pros and cons for him, too. Obviously, what he's done with Kansas City is, is you know, un- unmatched, right? But I wonder, you know, Andy Reid, how, how much of the offense is he actually, what percentage of the offense is he totally in charge of, you know, molding, calling, building, and of course, you have talents like Patrick Mahomes and 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 all of the guys on that offensive, and and they're just loaded. And the Jets are not. So I would be, it would just give me pause to to say like, okay, you know, are the Chiefs a product of Bienemy, or is Bienemy a product of the Chiefs? That's kind of like the main question I have for him. But he is still my number one choice for New York Jets head coach. Number two and quickly rising, really, maybe one A and one B, would be Brian Dable. Bill's offensive coordinator, and his offense this year was second in passing yards per game. Most importantly, though, and I know you don't want a quarterback's guy. It's helpful, right? He was the Jets quarterback coach from 2007 to 2008, by the way, just so you guys all know. So he has quarterback experience, and then he went on to be an offensive coordinator in a couple different places. Right now, he is um, obviously with the Buffalo Bills. So just by the simple fact of how Josh Allen developed – under, you know, his reign up there in in Buffalo. I, I mean, that I think speaks volumes of what Brian Dable can do. He uh, and by the way, Josh Allen has a stud wide receiver in, in Stephon Diggs, and, but they are also doing it though, and which kind of matches the Jets' profile with a bottom third and even bottom quarter rushing attack. So what I'm saying is, if the Jets can't get in and get a, a stud wide receiver through the cap, which they have a ridiculous amount of cap space or through the draft, which they have a ridiculous amount of draft capital, that's kind of like the same blueprint uh, that the Jets would be following. And actually, the rush game, the running game of, of the Bills, for a comparison, they actually had less yards per game. They were right underneath the Giants on the ground this year. So um, quickly rising up my little board here is is Brian Dable um, being 1B, Eric Bieniemy being 1A, and we can – Talk the pluses and minuses of some other names here. And probably the biggest surprise for me would be Aaron Glenn, who's going to be interviewing on Monday. That's a big surprise. But uh, I've got thoughts on all of them. So if you guys wanted to talk about that, by all means, let's go to Kevin in Camden. You are second on the fan tonight. Kevin, what's up? What's up, Coach? I want to talk about the uh, Lindor trade a little bit. Let's go, Kevin. All right. Carlos Carrasco, we got him. I know that everybody's talking about Lindor, and he's a superstar, and I'm going to mention him in a minute. But Carlos Carrasco, he is, I, I think he's undervalued in this Totally. Because everybody's overlooking him. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago, the Mets didn't need Bauer, and it's just 
affirms it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear, and these people are still messaging me, oh, Bauer will be nice with that. There's no need for Bauer. Yeah. Now, this is what I, I would do. Especially Syndergaard coming back soon. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And then you, I still say, get Springer if you can. And I got some bullpen options. I know Hayden's their main guy, but I got some other ones. I got some alternatives. Okay. Jake McGee, one. I think he was with the Dodgers this year. He had a pretty decent year. Mm-hmm. Um, let's try to think a little bit. McGee, I had to, uh, I'll come back to it. Okay. I know McGee was one. Um, now on Lindor. Oh my gosh, I love, <laughs> I love it. He is, he is the guy. And I'm not saying because he is like the, watching him as I have on a, almost uh, not daily because I'm not a Cleveland guy, but he can do everything. He can field. He can hit. There's one downside to this trade. The Mets need to resign him. If they don't, I don't know if this is a great one. If they resign him, yeah, great. If he, if they win the World Series, even better. You know, Kevin, they, I, I was thinking about that too, but I don't think the Mets and Steve Cohen would be so short-sighted to, to give up what they gave up and not have some sort of at least verbal agreement to, to resign, right? I mean, right? You would think. You would think. They, they, didn't, they didn't give up nearly as much as they did for Cano. And I mean, that's right. that's... I, I couldn't believe that because you give up more for a steroid-using 37-year-old old man for than you give up for this young guy who is a far better player. Which I was like, you got to be kidding. Oh, I know. But it's just, I, I think it's perfect for him. And I'm telling you, as a Puerto Rican native as I am, oh, man, it is an honor for me to have him as the face of the Mets. I could, and, I, and I know some people were talking about, oh, this is like the Piazza. I was too young to remember when Piazza got acquired, but this is the the second best day of my life as a Met fan. So I love this. I really do. Kevin, and I I'm gonna, love I'm, the I'm gonna, passion here, Kevin. I love it. Thanks, Coach. And I re- also re- I'm with Mike too. I'm also a Giants and Jets fan, as you know, mm-hmm. and I'm also a Mets and Yankees fan. I'll take some heat for that. But, I think Kevin. Know, that, yeah, I know. Me too. I'm with you. I think this year it's going to be a little tough though, because I think the Mets are going to be pretty good, and I don't think the Yankees. It, it might be tough. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on with Lemayhew, but I'm not even going to get into that. I know. Oh, and real quick, yeah. The enemy, the enemy's my guy for the Jets. Yeah, the enemy won. I mean, he's he's my. Guy. I mean, they they passed him over once. You can't do it twice, can you? Yeah, Kevin. And, and <laughs> I mean, come on. That's the thing. And good, good. Thanks for bringing that up because that's the thing. If I was Eric Bieniemy, you know what I would say. I would kind of say to the Jets, you know what? You passed me over the first time to hire that buffoon, the, the disgrace of Adam Gase, and you passed me over for that? Really? Thanks, but no thanks. That's what I would do if I were him. Tom in Naples, Napoli, Florida. What's up, Tom? Hey, Daniel. Thanks for taking the call. Of course. Uh, yeah, I just want to talk about the uh, Lindor trade with the Mets. Yeah. Obviously, it's the biggest thing that's happened this past week. Uh, I'm a lifelong Mets fan, and I was too young to remember the Piazza trade as well. Yeah, me too. My first Mets game was about a few weeks after they got him, so that was pretty cool, and he's kind of been my guy growing up. So this is obviously, like, this trade has the potential to be a franchise-altering one. Yep. And as the last caller said, um, it's an understatement, you know, the fact that they got Carrasco in this trade. Yes. Um, and I, I believe, you know, due to that fact, I think they should – focus on uh, getting a quality center fielder now. I mean, it'd be nice if they got Bauer, but I'd rather have Springer and uh, maybe get a star third baseman, you know, whether it's like Chris Bryant or uh, do like a DJ LeMayhew. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, and, and Tom, that's a good point. And I think that um, I, I think that starting rotation is, is done. I, you know, if they wanted to go ahead and add uh, like a cheap option, like a I don't know, like one of the guys that they're working out. I think that of the three, Paxton Kluber and Odorizzi, I think you give Corey Kluber a chance at six and a half million, seven million a year, if. But what happened was, and and this is kind of like the little bit of the drawback, I would say, with this with this trade that the Mets made with Lindor and Carrasco. A little bit of the drawback would be that you got, I mean, it opened up a liability at third base defensively. You got J.D. Davis there, Mets fans. He's got a 953 fielding percentage. And that's the most experience that he has, at, you know, in any other position he plays, has been at third base. And he's got a 953 fielding percentage there. That's not good. That, that's a liability there. And I, I saw the clip online, Sandy Alderson on with Evan Roberts and Craig Carton, and uh, Evan asked him, is J.D. Davis your third baseman? And he said, right now, yeah. Right now, yeah, right? And then there was a long pause, and then Alderson said, look, I can see a lot of things changing. Am I predicting that will, there would be a change? No, I'm not predicting that. He's currently our third baseman. We have lots of issues, blah, 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 blah. Um, but if we didn't have J.D. Davis, we'd have an issue at third base. So, yeah, he's our third baseman now as with probably 80% of our roster, subject to change, but unlikely to change. That's the only drawback I see about this Lindor-Carrasco um, blockbuster deal here uh, in New York with the Mets. So um, more of your calls after this short little pause here, 877-337-6666. You want to do Francisco Lindor? You want to talk about the, the Philadelphia Eagles tanking it, forcing the Giants to watch the playoffs from home like the rest of us, whatever it is, the Jets. How about let's talk about some names for the Jets head coach hire. I'm Daniel McCartan with you on the fan until 6 a.m. in New York City. Join us tomorrow morning on Boomer and Geo. We'll react to all the wild card games and do the Mets have another surprise for us. Hopefully it's a super wild card weekend as they've been promising and we have a lot of great games to talk about. We'll also talk about the Jets head coaching search. Plus, as Geo just said, all those Mets, are they going to give us another game? Boomer and Geo, 6 to 10 a.m. with the warm-up show with Alan Jerry starting at 5 right here on the fan. Good one, Pat. I'm Daniel McCartan with you guys here on The Fan at 2.43 in the morning. He is Pat Boyle taking your phone calls, 877-337-6666. This is just the energy that we're putting out here tonight, everybody. Uh, I got a tweet. Do I want to do this? Yeah, I, I, got, I got a tweet from at Boss Degenerate, and he said, Coach McCartan slaying it now with the Eagle rant right now on The Fan, and he's a big challenge fan. Um. The, the challenge on MTV, and he said, hashtag Fessy screwed Nelson. And I love the challenge on MTV. I've always wanted to be on the challenge on MTV. It is a show that I never miss, ever. Um, and as far as Fessy screwing Nelson, yeah, he kind of did. Fessy um, almost played NFL football, by the way, tight end. Um, he is a huge combat. He's 6'6". I mean, this is like the fifth sport in America. If you haven't turned on to it yet, uh, it's on, I think, Wednesday nights at 8 on MTV and it is a show that I, I do not miss. And uh, yeah, he kind of did screw him, but that's the game, right? That's the name of the game. And speaking of uh, one person screwing over another in that game and one team screwing over another in the NFL, you got the Philadelphia Eagles who um, did a terrible job at tanking. I mean, terrible, absolutely brutal job bringing in, a quarterback that a third string quarterback uh, that has had exactly 
uh, what was it? Four. That was his fourth time ever entering an NFL game ever. Instead of seeing what your the quarterback that you just drafted at fifty third overall in Jalen Hurts, what he can do to try and maybe manufacture a a game winning and engineer a game winning drive. They didn't give him the chance to do it. It was a terrible tank job. Doug Peterson should be ashamed of himself. And Eagles fans, you should be ashamed of yourselves as well. Let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Tim in East Haven. Tim, what's up this week? What's going on, Coach? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm annoyed. <laughs> I'm annoyed at Tankadelphia, Philadelphia. You, I got plenty of the Philadelphia Turtles, my boxing term. Terrible tank job. Mm. Um, and I got this from my cousin. Well, the Giants should win more games. And I'm like, that's like a separate issue. <laughs> it's like a totally different argument. Right. I agree. The Giants have no one to blame but themselves. Six wins, obviously, is not going to cut it. But, I mean, I, the reaction to the players on the sidelines. I mean, Kelsey, Ertz, they're like yes. basically crying. <laughs> Ertz was crying. I, I like him as a player, but he was crying in that post-game po- uh, press conference. Yes. Right. I mean, uh, come on. And, and then I got... Then I got my cousin saying, well, he wanted to see what Nate Sudfeld could do. And, and, and like I've told you, Nate Sudfeld, really? He's been on the team for three years, and you're telling me Peterson doesn't know what he can do? I know. Are you kidding me? Interceptions and fumbled snaps. Right, I mean, right. <laughs> he had, he, the guy, clearly, was, after the first series, he couldn't I, do this. Tim, the guy ran five plays. Two of them resulted in turnovers. Why at that point do you not put Jalen Hurts back in? Right, and that was another argument of mine. You know, he never put him back in because he's after the game. I mean, Peterson, really? I'm sorry, we're New York sports fans. We're a little more educated. Yeah, really. I tried to win the game. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Just admit it. (laughs) I think he would have saved more face by saying, you know what, I screwed it up. I tried tanking, but I screwed it up. And, and not to mention, Tim, that, that the NBC broadcast caught Jalen Hurts on the bench after he was benched. Re- read his lips. He said, that's not right. That's what he said. Yeah, and then you got Hall of Fame Seth Joyner saying, I've never been more embarrassed to be associated with the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> I know. Horrible. And all for what? But all, you got to love moved... our guy, Joe Judge, right? Yeah, right, right. But, Tim, Getting they moved up the from nine to day. six in the draft. Come on. Yeah. So Joe Judge the next day, yeah. you, you know, yeah. calling them out without even using their names. You know, Love it. We, we will never not compete Love for it. 60 minutes as long as I'm coach of the New York football Giants. Yep. You got to love that, Giant fans. And I know I've been uh, throwing Devontae Smith down you and Kevin from Camden's throat, but I can't overlook Gregory Rousseau from Miami, the defensive end. He played seven games as a redshirt freshman. He had 54 tackles in those seven games. He had 15 sacks in those seven games. He had 19 and a half tackles for loss in those seven games. Now, he opted out this year because of everything that's going on. But I got to take a flyer. The guy's a 6'7 beast. He could be Chase Young Mm 2.0. Well, Tim, that is one name that you just put on everybody's draft board here in New York to watch for the Giants. Definitely. Have a great evening. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Tim. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that that's impressive. And and that's, if, if anything, that's what the Giants, you know, need. I think they've got plenty of pressure up the middle. And, um, and, and they need an edge rusher. 
And the Giants is what they need is is an edge rusher. And you talked about the reactions from the Philadelphia Eagles players, not to mention the fans, but the the players. Jalen Hurts said that's not right during the game. Um, after the game, he said, as a competitor, I play to win. You have to trust, trust Doug Peterson's plan. Listen, I feel bad that the kid got caught up in all of it. And I think that um, when you look at some of, of the other guys and what they were saying, um, uh, Miles Sanders had something to say against it. Um, he said he, he doesn't know whose plan that was. Whose plan was it? It's my question. Was it, um, I don't know, was it an organizational standpoint from from the, the CEO, the owner all on down that Doug Peterson just fumbled the way to do it? Was it that? Or was it? His own decision? I can't think that he would have come up with it on his own. Then you got Jason Kelsey's Instagram the other day, and he said he went up to Doug and asked him during the game if he was taking Hurts out. And the coach replied, yes, I think Nate's earned the right to play. On what basis does Nate Sudfield earn the right to play? And let's not forget. Let's not forget. Sudfield was told he was going to play, but it doesn't mean he was going to. He was the Week 17 backup quarterback. Of course, he has to be ready. And in case you were not one of the 2.5 million people that saw this video on social media, I want to end this little mini rant here with an audio of none other than Philadelphia Eagles center Jason Kelsey. Pat, hit it. Everything is about winning in this league. And I know that that, you know, and I know that, that that won't appease a lot of people out there that always want to talk about getting better draft positions or getting uh, – looks at certain guys to see what you got for the future. But again, the moment a team feels like you as an organization aren't doing your job to, for me to go out there and win, all of a sudden you've put, you've shown who you are. You don't care about me or this team. You care about the future. You care about this. That's not what the focus is here. That's not what the focus is on any winning organization's team. You don't care about me or this team. You care about the future. This wasn't from last week. This was from December 16th. So there you go. I cannot imagine how Doug Peterson is going to start up next season and face this locker room of men with any ounce of credibility or any thread of credibility left. There will be a mutiny in that locker room. I'm telling you that right now. John in Staten Island, you're on the fan. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, still uh, marveling over the... Uh... Lindor, unbelievable. Unbelievable is right. John, can you do me one favor? John, 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 can you do me one favor? Just turn yeah. down the radio in the background. I'm getting a little feedback. Oh, I'm sorry, because I actually shut it off. Okay, that sounds better, actually, now. Yeah, right in the beginning, it was a little feedbacky. We're good. All right, okay. go ahead. Tell um, me. It's so yeah, excited about uh, Lindor, I mean, yes. Oh, I was watching MLB. It was like, oh, I felt like Rick Flair. Woo! I was going nuts. <laughs> That's you know, so great. That I mean, he just makes all these moves, and they're, they're still more aggressive. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of center field now. And uh, I don't know if they're going to pay, pay, pay this guy. He's asking a lot of money. What are you going to do? You have all these guys to sign. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. I know. I know what you're saying. And it's just like... You, I, I love Springer, but he's looking like $30 million bucks. I know. It's a lot. And, so, then you, and then you got Conforto and Syndergaard coming up next year. I mean, what is your exactly. priority? Of course you got to sign up. And you got to sign Lindor again. Yeah. So, but I mean, I just and from what I'm hearing, the chemistry of these two guys too. I mean, they're well liked. I mean, Carrasco, uh, 
you know, I was listening to some of the Indian fans. They were devastated. Yes. They, they love Carrasco. He's like uh, Bartolo Colon for a Met fan. It was just, you know, unbelievable. And, you know, then unfortunately I got the Jets, but at least, you know, between that and Gates getting fired, at least two, my uh, team's going in the right direction. But I love what you just said, too, because I love those two coaches. Those are the two guys I want. Yeah. And, and, and One it, or the other. I know, and it makes me think that because they – they didn't put a definitive timestamp, and it, they were kind of wishy-washy. Christopher Johnson, anyway, was kind of wishy-washy on when the decision was going to be made. It makes me think that they have their eyes on somebody that's playing in the playoffs right now. And it, it, they both are. You know what I mean? So, well, I, hopefully Douglas is, uh, you know, Douglas makes the call. I, I really like Douglas. Uh, from what I'm hearing, it don't look like Donald's coming back. I was listening to his interview when he's like, well, look. The coach has to be part of the decision. I'm well, like, oh, God. Well, I mean, if the coach comes in and says, yeah, I can fix this. I mean, I, I, me, my, personally, I am a fixer. That's what I would do. So if I were to come in there, I would give him one more year. He's got one more year on his deal. And then if you don't like him at that point, then you dump him. But I, I, you know, I'm coming from the standpoint, and we'll see on the 11th, that I, I'm just not enamored with Justin Fields. That's how I am right now. It could change. Well, see him tomorrow. Yeah. Well, see him tomorrow. <laughs> right. We'll see. And maybe next week I have but a different he has opinion. Some I, he has some toughness, though, and, uh, you know, he, he showed toughness in that game. Of course. And Donald hasn't shown that. And, you know, again, uh, you know, I, I can't pay Donald. That's the thing. You got that four-year window. It's hard to pass down. Yeah, you know, I know. I, I heard you. And the other guy, you know, the other guy they're talking about, Wilson, I heard the guy brought, like, two prom dates. Like, he seems like out again. <laughs> You're going to bring a guy with two prom dates to New York? Mm. I don't know. That's kind of tough. Is that true? I didn't hear that. Yeah, that's what that, that's what they were saying the other day, that the guy had two prom dates. <laughs> he, you know, and, well, maybe uh, he's just a nice kid. Maybe he just maybe they were just <laughs> two girls that needed a date, and maybe he was just uh, that guy. I, I don't know another woman. I don't know another woman that would want to share a date. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't hear that story. That, that's a good little <laughs> nugget there. John, thanks for the call here. All right, always a pleasure. Take care. I didn't hear that about him. Um, but, get, but getting back to Darnold, I, you know, I, I, right now, tonight, right now, and I was last week and I was the week before, I'm willing to give him one more chance at this because you look at what's around him and there's really not much. I mean, the Jets' wide receivers are 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 not by any means, when you look at like Josh Allen, they're not Stefan Diggs. Let's just put it that way. I mean, the Jets' wide receivers are bad. They're bad. And I think, where was it? None of them, not one of them is in like the top, I guess it was the top 100 in, in rushing, in, in catching yards or something like that. I got to find it for you. It's somewhere in my notes here. But he doesn't have pieces around him to to play with. And what's his name? Justin Fields from Ohio State. He's got a stud running back. Like, everybody keeps talking about Justin Fields. Let's talk about that running back that he's got with him. The Jets don't have that. They don't have a threat of a um, a real threatening running game. They just don't. And how would Justin Fields look if, if defenses can really, NFL defenses, could really key on, you know, uh, on, on his ability to throw the ball? You know what I mean? It's just, it's a different league. It's it's a different team, obviously. There are no real studs on the Jets' offense. Uh, you know, playmakers, I, I say, because 
Mahai Becton. I mean, he is a playmaker in and of itself. Me or you or Pat can run behind him and, and score 15 yards a, 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 a carry. Okay, all you have to do is run behind him. I don't know why Adam Gase hadn't figured that out. And I had found it in my notes on page 8 here. Not one single Jets pass catcher ranked in the top 100 in pass catch percentage in the entire league. And that's just not wide receivers. That's across all pass catchers. So, you know, Sam Darnold hasn't had a lot to work with. Look at the quarterbacks in that draft class. Josh Allen. We can all agree that he, in what would be, if you likened it to like a high school football season, he, in his junior year, is better than he was as a freshman. Stephon Diggs is probably the number one or two, maybe third, wide receiver in the entire league. Baker Mayfield is even a better example. He was pro football-focused, top-ranked quarterback in, in Week 15, who has taken absolute leap forward. Why? Why? He's got the third-best rushing attack in the league, or had, at least at that point. He, he has Jarvis Landry. He had Odell Beckham Jr., but he does play, ironically, better without him. He's got tight ends to throw to. I mean, the Jets are looking at Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon? I mean, really? You get my point. Josh Allen was surrounded by talent. Baker Mayfield was surrounded by talent. Now look at Sam Darnold. Le'Veon Bell? Well, that head coach never wanted him anyway. Shipped him right out. The Jets' top-ranked receiver, everybody, is Jamison Crowder. He was ranked 60, 6-0, 60th in the entire league in receiving yards. Rashad Perryman, right? Okay, yeah, him too, right? Wrong. He was worse. He was 93rd in the league in receiving yards. And like I was just saying, how about how about a tight end for the Jets? What is that? The Jets have totally lost sight of what a tight end even is. They have a non-existent one, Chris Herndon. Griffin seems to be all right. He seems to be a good blocking tight end, at least, but mediocre. I think if you if you're the Jets and in the draft, I think you're looking at a couple different positions. I think you leave the quarterback be. Let it be. I think you go out and, and, and you get yourself Danielle McCarthy. Sports Radio 1019 FM. Oh, well, welcome back to McCartan After Midnight. And if you're just getting in your car possibly right now or just waking up or whatever, welcome in to McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan in New York City. We are one hour down, rolling our way till 6 a.m. Uh, we've got the highlights of the Super Wild Card Weekend right now. We got the Tampa Bay Bucks versus the Washington Football Team on the TV right now in the studio. Obviously, as you know, the outcome of that game was that the Bucks won. Uh, if you pay attention to my Twitter at Coach M C C A R T A N, you will also know that I also won today. I won big. My five dollars turned into to twenty dollars because I had the three team parlay. I was. Three for three today in in the picks. And yes, I did go with the Rams. Yes, I did go with the Rams without Jared Goff. And then all of a sudden, he came in to play. Um, Mostly because the the Seattle Seahawks, um, they just looked real human. That's the only way I could put it. They just looked real human against the New York football Giants when the Giants went there and beat them. So that was really the only reason why I picked the Rams to win. And it worked. So I was three for three. I'll get you my picks uh, for Sunday's games coming up, but we do have a full bank, and I want to get to you guys. So, um, And for those of you keeping track, we are going to do um, – you guys tune in 340. I'm going to have John Marks on 
from Philadelphia, the afternoon drive guide from Philadelphia. We're going to go at it. We're going to debate the um, the Giants and the, the Philadelphia Eagles' awful tank job. I will represent Giants Nation for you all. I promise you, Giants Nation, get on my back at, at, at 340. But until then, your calls. Let's go to Terrell in Long Island. You're on the fan. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm good. What's up? Listen, uh, well, I wanted to talk about the Mets and the Jets, but just to touch on Doug Peterson, um, I think it was very, very refreshing um, seeing him do that. Obviously, it was a tank job, but why isn't it as accepted in football as it is in basketball? It's like completely acceptable for the Sixers to lose every single year, every single year, just hoping for the top pick, and now they're good. And that's acceptable. But then I felt it's not I, okay. I don't, but I don't accept that, though. I don't accept that. I don't accept it. All right. I don't. Well, anyway, he, he, I, he was talking about being, like, on the fritz in Philadelphia, and I was really hoping the Jets could get him because he's such a great offensive mind. He, <laughs> he had to have been given an, uh, Doug Peterson. Peterson? Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, so He can't even figure so, out who his quarterback is, Terrell. No, he knows who his quarterback is for the future. He knows it, it hurts. He does. He did some good things with her. He yeah, does not. Sure, yeah. Really? Yeah, he was the one clamoring for him, for them to draft him. And then he got in there. They did some nice things. They're like, oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. This so, all right. So, let me ask you this. Really Terrell, as a Jets fan, you know that a coach alienating players is not a good thing, right? Adam Gase did it. Uh, and Peterson did it to Wentz. I, I don't I don't yeah. want that guy with a 10. I wouldn't touch that guy with a 10-foot pole. Sorry. Great offensive mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only a handful in the game. Seriously, okay. like not a fake, not a fake one like Gabe, like an actual one. Yeah, it showed um, up in his win total this year too. I guess. Bel- if Belichick did something like this, we wouldn't be like rolling our eyes that bad. I mean, I know, I know, know, I would. I know, I definitely would. All right, all right. Well, agree to disagree. With okay, me. sure. Um, I was very excited um, about, and uh, I mean, also too, Doug Peterson. Imagine if he was coaching the Jets with them wanting to tank. Like, we're, I was rooting for the tank. I'm not rooting for the Jets to win to win games down the stretch. And then we have three, four games to go to get the topic in Trevor Lawrence. I wasn't rooting for them. But I think that's the so difference. Had- I think that's the difference, though. The Jets were going for the number one overall pick, a franchise-altering quarterback. What exactly are the Eagles tanking for? That's the sweet spot of the draft right there, like, you know, 5 to 12. Like, mm. I mean, they're, but yeah, they were, they're but getting, they were they're in, getting ready. Yeah, but Terrell, but they were in that spot anyway. They were in 9 anyway. No, I know, but that that's valuable. Like, if you were trading up from 9 to 5, you got to throw in, like, a second-round draft pick at least. I mean, that's, that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. know. It's it's. It, it was. I thought it was smart. I mean, for the I think Eagles fans were happy. No, obviously hearing it for the Giants fans would make them sick, and I would be sick if I was a Giants fan. But yeah, but Terrell, I, I, if you notice, if you looked on Twitter, if Eagles fans were most of them were not happy about it. They were embarrassed by it. But that's just that's just what I really? saw. Players too. Yeah. But go ahead. Uh, okay. What's your Mets point? Oh, the Mets. I mean, obviously the Lindor trade. I don't have to gush about it. Everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um. But you got to shore up center field. I mean, you just have to. I mean, there's we have a bunch of corner outfielders, and everyone's saying JD Davis. We have a bunch of misfits. You got to trade one of them. We're talking about like guys like Chris Bryant, who are like on the ends of their contract. You know, it's going to take because the Mets don't have this deep a farm system. It's going to take actual MLB starters mm-hmm. to get this done. Agreed. So, I think JD I, Davis I, is on the trade block, but now maybe not. Now he's their their only third baseman that they have, pretty much. No, McNeil. McNeil could play third. You could you could work some things around, like guys. You know, guys could play, and and again, like so. If McNeil's playing third, Terrell, who's playing second? No, I know, I know, I know. Listen, 
I mean, I, obviously, I'm crossing my fingers for Lemayhu, but I don't want to get too excited. Nah, Lemayu, you know, I don't think so. Really? But you never know. I, but I don't think so. The thing is, you know, the, the the Mets really need to. I guess they're going all in for this year. I really do think that center field. If you shore that up, you have a, you, you you have a full team. I mean, and you have a guy that can lead off. I mean, the Mets. The Mets have a stacked lineup right now as it is. Correct. If you hit that, that's a championship team. I just, I'm so excited uh, as a Mets fan. Yeah, of course. You have every right to be. And the Mets would have never made a trade like this in the past. But, you know, if you look at the Robbie Cano trade, Awful. it was like, what? Yeah. We had to take on that bad contract? Plus, we gave up our top prospect <laughs> and all those stuff. I know. Now we're saying, like, oh, we got this Lindor, this superstar player for not that much, and we get Cookie Carrasco. Yeah. It's just a complete like changing dynamics. Well, it was uh, Robbie Cano was the uh, and thanks for the call there, Terrell. Robbie Cano was the the CAA client, the Brody Van Wagenen client. Everybody knows that, right? That's that's why that deal got done. I called it out at the time. Everybody, it was obvious, right? It was obvious to everybody, wasn't it? Alan in Queens, you're on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How you doing? I'm good. What's uh, up, Alan? Lindor? Yeah, he has no no votes for MVP in this past year, and I would wait a little bit on signing him long term. See if he could turn himself around from his previous two substandard years. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think they're going to wait not because of that, but because they're trying to see what the revenues are going to be from the COVID season from last year. Um, it was a weird season. I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be writing him off just yet, to be honest with you. But I don't. I'm not I writing just, him off and saying he, 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 he had a bit of a downturn the past two years. Sure. I just, but I just don't think that you give up all that, you know, four, two, uh, two major league players and two prospects for the for not signing him. And Pat just sent me a note here. He said he finished an MVP voting last. Uh, what what do you say there, Pat? Finished an MVP voting last four years? Yeah, it's finishing the MVP no voting. MVP, MVP voting before last year, four straight years. I don't know how much of two years ago can be of a downturn. I'm just saying, wait a little until you sign him long term. Well, you know, Alan, that that's one school of thought there. Wait a little, fine, but not because of his performance. You wait a little because you want to see what your the new salary cap is going to be based on the COVID season. That's why you wait. That's why you and all you also wait to see if the MLB is going to ha- or the NL at least is going to have an, a, a DH this season. There has been no definitive decision on that yet either, um, but. All signs are pointing towards that there will be no DH this season, but that it will be worked into the new CBA. And don't forget that there is a big shortstop market next year. You've got tons of guys on the market that maybe would drive his price down. That's also another reason why you wait. Not because of his production, though. Sorry. Sorry to tell you that. Steve in Queens, you're on the fan. Danielle, how are we doing? I'm good, Steve. How are you? I, if we're being honest, I'm doing okay. okay. And Talk to I'm me. Talk to me, Steve. Yeah. Danielle, you're here for me, and I appreciate you being there for me. It does not go unnoticed. The fact that you're there to hear my thoughts, and Danielle, I appreciate it. Tell me your thoughts. Gonna, what are they tonight, Steve? I'm going to start off with the fact that I'm a Yankee fan. I've been through I've been through a lot from 16 from Jeter leaving 
2016 to 2017 heartbreak, 2018 to 2019 to 2020. I've been through a lot as a Yankee fan, dying every day with every single pitch, and we lost. And at the end of the day, we have no World Series championship, with which I understand and I get. I say, okay, we need to get better. So here I am trying to get better. And, okay, the Mets have Francisco Lindor, which I totally – I let them celebrate that. You got Lindor. You're the Mets. You'll never win a big game. Oh, you can get Lindor. Oh, like, oh, here, here's Lindor. Take Lindor when you lose in the – in a divisional round and not never win a big game and never win a World Series because you're the Mets. And Steve, that's what you did do. Did you not just I, add I one, two that. big heartbreaks of the Yankees not getting to the World Series? I understand. I've been going on really long here. And I understand that. Let me get to my point. Okay, Steve. My I hope point, you're not driving a car tonight, Steve. Danielle, I guarantee you I am not driving a car. And that's why we love Uber. That's right. Because I. <laughs> I am, <laughs> I am gonna. <laughs> my Uber rating is five stars, and I love them. How? I, Mine's only like a four point eight. Oh, I'm so mad about that, actually. If we're being honest, I'm like a four point eight three. <laughs> but Danielle, <laughs> that's not the point. The point that I'm trying to get at is, <laughs> I'm a Yankee fan who wakes up in the morning and expects to win championships, and we have DJ LeMayu somewhere out there. Like, at what point are we going to sign DJ LeMayu? I don't know. Let's go sign. Let's go sign DJ LeMayu. Let's not wait around. I know. Met, these joke Met fans who are some of my friends who I love, but they're jokes. They understand that they wake up in the morning and they're like, "I'm a joke. I root for the Mets. <laughs> I can't do anything." Like. You have Lindor. Nobody cares. You never win a big game. We're the Yankees. 27 rings. We're trying to make it 28. Let's get LeMayu. Let's start winning. Like, what's going on, Danielle? Can you answer me? What's going on? What am I doing wrong with my life that we're not winning? Steve, you're not putting on the pinstripes. I think that's the biggest thing. I think you could really be. Uh, the next free agent, then the Yankees are going to find the, you know, Brian Cashman's going to find the diamond in the rough there, Steve. I think that's, that's it. For how incoherent that call was, it was pretty coherent. It was pretty good. I mean, he expressed <laughs> the frustration of Yankees fans to a T, I think. I mean, where is DJ LeMayhew? Why haven't they signed him yet? And because it, not only that, it's, it's holding up all of the other moves that the Yankees should be making. Yeah. And I think, you know, Steve had gotten to the point, you know, at drinking tonight. 315, you start spiraling into wire, the Yankees winning world titles. <laughs> it's not uh, funny, but it's not funny because it's true. It's the frustration of all Yankee fans. And it doesn't help that you went up against the 2017 cheating Astros and, and all that, right? And by the way, as he was talking, I did check my Uber rating. It's 4.9. Really, it should be a 5.0, and I'm a little upset about that, and I don't know why. You know, you should be able to see why it's not a 5.0, in my opinion. So, Uber, why don't you go ahead and get on that? But I am at a 4.9 Uber rating. Not good enough. That's just not good enough for me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I think that call, you know, um, very funny. Very funny as it is. Uh, but 
very truthful. I mean, that's right. When it comes out, it's, it's truthful. And I think that if you're a Yankee fan, you know, every week, every week that goes by that I'm on here and that there's no news about DJ LeMahieu, there's no news about, you know, the Yankees making any sort of signings. It's just, it, it's very frustrating. I mean, minor league deals. The Mets are signing Carlos Correa, uh, Carlos, um, Correa. <laughs> imagine that. Can you imagine what Steve would be if the Yankee, if the Mets signed Carlos Correa? Oh my God. No, but the Carrasco, the Mets signing Carlos Carrasco, the Mets signing Francisco Lindor this week, or training uh, anyway, training for Lindor and Carrasco. And the Yankees are signing minor league contracts of, of guys no one's ever heard of. I mean, that's the level of frustration. The Yankees are used to being the destination. Now it seems like it, the destination here in New York City, at least, is Queens. No longer the Bronx. The problem is, and I think you're starting to see this, it's just, I, and I know he's, like, untouchable. I was thinking about this late earlier uh, on Saturday. Like, I know he's, like, untouchable, but, like, Brian Cashman, he's really, I mean, that deal with Giancarlo Stanton was, was the deal. That is the handcuffing deal that he made. I didn't want it at the time. I told you he's, like, a repeat player of, of Aaron Judge. They had two of them. They did not need two of them. And I just hope that my New Year's resolution for Brian Cashman was that he was going to be able to, I guess, combat the narrative of, you know, this this launch angle crap, get guys like DJ LeMayhew that are going to spray the ball all over the field and start to rebuild that the roster in the right way, which in my opinion is the right way. And I think I'm going to start to take them to task a little bit. Because right now it's been week after week after week no sightings of DJ LeMahieu. They said they're going to wait him out. Okay, but for how long? When all these pitchers, you're going to see next week or the week after, all these pitchers, these these mid-tier starting pitchers, which the Yankees obviously need starting pitching too, but these guys like Paxton and Kluber and Odorizzi who are trying out for teams and doing you know all kinds of workouts for teams, those are the guys that are going to be starting to get signed, and then the Yankees are going to be left with nothing. So they're going to have DJ LeMahieu and Garrett Cole and nothing behind them. And that is the frustration of T's phone call. And we'll get to more of yours, I promise you. Hang on. You always get your time on here, so you know the, the, the hold is worth it, I promise you. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. At least we stole the show. Wild Card Weekend continues today with another big triple header, beginning at 12.30 with Baltimore at Tennessee, followed by Chicago at New Orleans, and wrapping up with Cleveland at Pittsburgh. All here on The Fan, Sport Radio 101.9, WFAN-FM. Speaking of stealing the show here on McCartan After Midnight on The Fan, Steve. Steve with that phone call there. Pat and I on the break, we're just checking our ratings. Again, I am 4. What did I say? Eight, four point yeah. nine on Uber. Four three, and yeah, no, four nine on Uber, and then on Lyft. <laughs> and all I have is is a little star, and it says new. But I'm not a new rider, so I don't know why. I haven't used rideshare in like a year since like COVID started. Like it's been like one calendar yeah, year same. since I've got one. Literally feels like forever. Pat, what's your rating? Four point nine. Mm. I don't know why I'm surprised. You know, I you get in somebody else's car. You, it's pretty simple. You treat them with respect. If you're drunk, you keep you keep the chunks in. You don't throw them up in the car. Ew. I know plenty of people that have thrown up in yeah. Ubers and Lyfts. You know, you can't be doing that. So you get in, you don't throw up, you don't act like jackass. It's pretty simple. I think it's pretty easy to get four points. I don't know why people would, I guess, I don't know. Well, Maybe I don't know. some people are sticklers like, oh, I want to give this guy a four, you know. Yeah. I don't like that he might have cursed with his friends. I, I don't know. Something like that, but yeah. I don't know. 
I'm just upset that I don't have a 5.0. That's it. You got to be better. I, I don't know how to be better. <laughs> I don't know how to be better. I don't know because I don't know what I did to not deserve the 5.0 to begin with. Do you try to make conversation with your driver? I do. Like all the time? Yeah. Especially when I go on my, my baseball stadium tours. I talk to them all the time about the city and all everything. And I ask for a, advice of what to see, what to do. One guy was telling me he was in this show. Uh, he was an extra in this show for like 40 minutes. I don't really care. You might just get, yeah, it could be the complete opposite. Sometimes you might just get a miserable jerk driver that goes, this person was nice. I don't like him. I'm miserable. I'm giving him a three. Maybe. Giving him a two. Maybe. I always tip, too. I always tip well. That's another thing, too. Yeah. I always. I've never not tipped on an Uber. Yeah. I've been in, like, food service before, too. So, like, 20%, unless they really screw just, up. like, drive dangerously and nearly get you in an accident or do something that's, like, you know, off-putting. Yeah. I give him a five. Right. Give him a five, and you tip 20%. And that's it. I guess people don't think like us, though. I don't know. You know, to give us back a five. Five stars. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we have a, a caller on hold here. The name that you have typed out, Pat, is Joe D. And I am wondering, Joe D., are you Joe Douglas? I am Joe D., the original from Staten Island there. <laughs> Joe D, what's up? First of all, what what is 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 Steinbrenner and this and, and this guy they they, they call uh, what you call that that also runs the Yankees? Brian Cashman, Cashman, waiting for when are they going to sign Lameo? They're holding him up because of one year, which is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. I know. It is ridiculous. I, I totally agree with you. Give him the last year. Let's be done with it and move on. You, you, do you know something? that uh, uh, George Steinbrenner is dead. Uh, well, okay. But if Steinbrenner was alive, this guy would have been signed already. Yes. He would have been signed already. Yep. And, be, and before we give the Mets the pennant, before we give them the pennant, mm -hmm. let, them win a, let them win a big game, Daniel. Let them win a big game, all right? We'll see. They 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 got this guy over here at uh, what you call it. Uh, where, where's he? Was he playing uh, second base? Lindor, shortstop. Shortstop. Remember something. He don't know the pitches in the National League. That's a good point. That's and a fair point. But doesn't know the pitches in the National League. Playing in one league and then switching leagues to another league can be a problem. That's a great point. Yeah. A am I right about that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And by the way, I want to ask you a question. Yes. How was your Christmas and New Year's? Oh, very good. Quiet. You know, very quiet, but but very good there, Joe. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. How was yours? Oh, all right. All right. Not bad, dude. Not bad. I'm, 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 I'm fighting a little bit of a cold. Yeah. But, but you know, it seems like, like everybody has a cold now, you know? I know. Well, stay safe there, Joe. I, I appreciate you picking up the phone. I'll talk to you next week, okay? Yeah, but can I ask you one more question? Go ahead. Here is the question. Right now, I hear that the Dodgers are talking to LaMeo's agent. I know. Agent. I know. Now, now you, you know how stupid Steinbrenner is going to look and how stupid Cashin is going to look if they let LaMeo go to the Dodgers. Yes, I, I am Yes, aware of that. I, and I'm wondering if DJ LeMahieu is using that for leverage or not, though. You know, well, like, well, well, he might be using it for leverage. But I'm telling you something right now. 
And I'm telling this to you right now. If you're going to, if you want to sign him for four years, you have to go the extra yard and sign him for a fifth year. Yep. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Do it. Okay. And, and by the way, dear, you have a very nice Sunday. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. You too. Enjoy the games today, Joe. Okay. Bye bye. Yeah, I just he's right. I mean, I don't know what the the Yankees are putting the brakes on for a fifth year. It's not like he's like. Yes, uh, yes, he's an older player, of course, but he's a versatile player. And if you're talking defensively, slide him to first base in that fifth year. Who knows who's going to be the Yankees' first baseman in in five years from now? DJ LeMay, who could be the guy if his range starts to suffer. Give him the fifth year. You know, enough is enough. Like, get it done already. Like, get it done, Cashman. If you're listening, come on, make a move. And I'm wondering if DJ LeMay, he was just doing that in order to just. Force the Yankees to make a move, I wonder. But then, I told you, every week I tell you, the longer this goes on, the more teams get involved with this guy, the greater chance that he will not return to the New York Yankees. And that's alarming. The Yankees need him. Dave in West Babylon, you're on the fan. Yeah, how you doing, uh, Danielle? So I'm uh, completely sober and I'm a Giants fan, so let's see how this this call goes. Okay. Um, I know... uh, I asked you to grade the Giants uh, last week. I'm going to give you my grade mm-hmm. for, for them, and that's for me. That's a B minus. And it, honestly, it all depends on what they do next year mm-hmm. with uh, what they have done right. And for me, the A plus that they get in this year is culture. They did everything right, despite some of the things that they had to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides all the stuff that everybody else had to go through, uh, they had a second-year quarterback having a brand new, a second year of a brand new scheme, mm-hmm. brand new coaching staff, and on top of that, they had an off- uh, offensive line that had to improve with their offensive uh, line coach getting. Uh, Getting removed and getting a new offensive line coach. Yeah, and a first and, and a first year, first time ever head coach too. I'm with you. Yes, absolutely. Who, by the way, did drop the hammer on that on that press conference? I loved what he loved said. It. I don't care what Stephen A. says, loved says it. or any of that. Uh, what I have to say, what I have to ask you. Well, I have two questions for you, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Number one, I love the fact um, that the Giants were doing well with us some of the no-names, like Nico Lalo mm-hmm. and Tay Crowder and all of these guys coming out of the woodwork. I'm wondering, I'm, I'm thinking of getting a jersey. Who do you think, mm. you know, of all the no-name guys, quote-unquote no-name or, like, uh, surprise guys, would you think? A Graham Gano, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I That's love Graham Gano. I know. I, I, I really want to get a Graham Gano jersey, to be honest. The second one is, can, or given the fact that next year, is going to be a really tough year with the cap. The cap is actually going down. Yes. Do you think that Joe Judge, that Gettleman, can creatively use their capital, maybe even get a couple of uh, Eagles players, disgruntled Eagles players, Mm -hmm. and play with the cap and use that culture to their advantage and maybe backload some contracts or um, get some guys in that they normally wouldn't get in – in some way, what, what do you think? Do you think that they can do something with uh, with the culture that they that they have created? Because I'm hearing a lot of guys, you know, first off, obviously complain about the Eagles uh, in house, and then 
talk about how great of a culture of what they love seeing in the Giants. So uh, thanks, thanks for the time, uh, Danielle. I'll listen to what you have to say. And um, and by the way, Mets fans, congratulations on getting Lindor. By the way, I think uh, Carrasco was a great pickup too, and don't underestimate him as well. So thanks, thanks for the time, Danielle. Yeah. I'll talk to you. Uh, talk to you soon. Of course, Dave. Um, so. The fact that he's like, you know, these quote unquote no name players that are making, you know, big plays and big significance in, in the Giants scheme here. You know what I attribute that to? I attribute that to teaching, teaching the game, teaching the fundamentals, teaching the cerebral part of the game, which we talk about every single week and, you know, across all the sports. Um, that is the mark of a good coach. That is absolutely the mark of a good coach. And the Giants found one in Joe Judge. I just pray that the Jets can find one um, of their own. As far as a jersey, you know, I, I, you know, I, I was ready to buy a DJ LeMahieu jersey. I'll be honest with you. I am ready to purchase a DJ LeMahieu jersey, like a real one, an authentic one. But if you were looking for, like, one of those guys, you know, I think if you're looking for a Giants jersey, Graham Gano, you know, no one really ever gets the kicker's jersey, but I do like him. I'm going to go Blake Martinez. If I were to buy a Giants jersey, a real one, I, you know, I would go Blake Martinez. The guy's a beast, and he signed to the Giants through the year 2022. I highly doubt that he would not re-sign in 2023 with the culture established. Out of the the, the pickings of the Eagles, I mean, it's kind of slim pickings in terms of talent. Um, though I do like Zach Ertz. I, I like Zach Ertz. I think he would be an upgrade from Evan Ingram. He, obviously, he's not Kittle-like or Kelsey-like, but he would be an in- upgrade from Ingram. I think it's I think it's time to move on from Evan Ingram. I think he he's shown what kind of a player he is. He needs to really, in this offseason, stand in front of a jugs machine and catch pass after pass after pass out of that jugs machine. And, you know, he's just, he's he's had too many pivotal drops. And that's the name of the game. Sorry, you're a, you're a likable guy. I just don't think you have a spot on this roster next year. And I think um, if Zach Ertz is in fact leaving Philadelphia, because if you saw the press conference, the one he was crying in, um, it seems like the way he was speaking that it was time for him to move on. So to pick up the scraps in, in, out of Philadelphia in that fractured locker room, I can only imagine how fractured that locker room is going to be uh, on day one. It is already, but on day one, um, Zach Ertz would be the one I'd go after uh, out of those slim pickings. Let's go to Mike in Jackson Heights. You're on the fan. How you doing, Danielle? Uh, first time. Uh, nice to meet you. Awesome. Welcome. Yeah, so about Evan Ingram, you know, as a Jet fan, uh, I really have no emotional saying this. I don't know if you're a Giants fan, but I feel like Evan Ingram, look, he was a high drive pick. He was supposed to be this this pro bowler, and, and he had a really uh, hot start. But, you know, maybe do you think maybe Giants fans are, are really going a little too emotional with this? Because, look, if you look at this as a business decision, he's probably not going to be that costly. He, in terms of, you know, other tight ends in the league, I feel like he's pretty average to above average. I mean, he he may be having you know a bad uh, stretch of, of draw passes, especially in pivotal moments. But, but he's probably not going to be though. that costly. He's but that's still huge. very athletic. He's he's probably going to be still better than most tight ends out there because there's not a lot of good tight ends out there. I mean, there's some that are really great, but and maybe Ertz will be available. But uh, if he's not going to cost you that much, and if you just compare him not to what you were expecting, which is a great player, maybe what to what he really is and what he is around the league, I, I feel like keeping him is probably a smart 
decision. Not maybe what Giants fans want, but I mean, I would keep him. I think I heard this from from a few other you know people in, in the NFL, but uh. I don't know. Well, Everything I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, sorry, I'm, look, so no, I'm just saying, I'm looking at his contract here. For for 2021, he's due to make $6 million, and that is the final year of his contract. So yeah. that that makes him pretty – to me, that, that seems like a really um, – like a trade chip. You know what I mean? That's a attractive okay. trade piece. I, I don't know. I don't All know. Right. But go and ahead. What's your Lindor the, point? The other thing I was going to say about Lindor yeah. and the whole – and, you know, LeMahieu is it seems like recently the – in the MLB, it's kind of turned a little bit. I remember a few years ago, you know, players were getting ten-year contracts, you know, three hundred million dollars left and right with, you know, Harper and and John Carlos and, and I, I don't know, I may be wrong, but I feel like it's slowed down a little bit. That the owners are trying to get back the advantage a little bit and trying to have more control. People are, are getting less years, and even you know, Lemayhew and, and Springer, who are not not even asking for eight years, I think they're asking for like six or seven and five. Yeah, and uh, you know they're not even getting it. Um, what do you think that is? Do you think is is it a, you know a dollars per year thing? Do you think it's because you know players are showing that it's not worth being signed so long? Like, look at Giancarlo Stan; it's not going to be worth it with his deal. Uh, what's the other guy, Cano? You know, when he got Awful. his deal, it was yeah. absolutely you know that that didn't make any sense at the end because I mean that's why the Yankees didn't sign him. And maybe you think they're they're going into the same situation with Lemayhew, even though. Right. Much less years, but yeah, think, I got you. you know, Mike. Just, yeah, yeah, I got yeah, you. I got so, you. Uh, thank you. I'll listen now. Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think you hit it. I think that the owners are not wanting to dole out these these major contracts because, like, you nailed it. Like you said with John Carlos Stanton, he is the reason why the Yankees are are so inflexible and what they can do. Um, so yeah, I think while the players are looking for longer term deals, the um, the the owners are looking for short term deals, and I think that is part of part of the stalemate happening here. Let's go one more before we get to uh, John Marks. Jack in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Hey, what's up, Danielle? What's up, Jack? Yeah, um, I don't know why all the Yankee fans are going crazy by DJ. This past playoffs, hitting was not the problem. I think we should go sign Bauer, get a lower tier shortstop, and go sign Michael, Michael Brantley. Well, uh, Jack, that, that's a good point. And I think that is the contingency plan if you are the Yankees. Um, because, listen, you have to start thinking about contingency plans. If, if it's not going to be DJ LeMayhew, all right, so you want Bauer. Okay, but but Bauer, that's a lot of money. I'm just looking up Bauer uh, contract. You know, if you're going to – if the Yankees are hesitant to pay DJ LeMayhew that money uh, annually per year, 20 to $25 million a year – the market value on Trevor Bauer, according to SpotTrack, which is like my favorite website ever, market value for him is $21.7 million annually So for four years. So, you know, yeah, you could pivot. But at this point in time, I think it's, it's LeMahieu or Bust because who's playing second base for you? And if you slide Glaber, who's playing shortstop? Is it a mid-tier player? Okay, like who? Because I did the, the statistical analysis on all, all those players. And is it DJ? I mean, I mean, is it is it Didi Gregorius that you want? That was my suggestion. He's still going to cost you. So the Yankees are really, really, really uh, handcuffed here. They're in a tough spot. Um, and, and this DJ LeMahieu thing's got to happen sooner rather than later. I'm tired of talking about it here. I want to talk about the next move that the Yankees are going to make after him. But right now we've got John Marks from the, uh, the afternoon drive in Philadelphia. He's joining us to have a spirited debate about the Philadelphia Eagles tanking and and a little bit about the coaching search for the Jets because as you know Joe Douglas was part of the Super Bowl winning Eagles. So uh him coming up and more of your calls 
coming up after that. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Back on McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan, we have John Marks, who is the co-host of the Afternoon Drive Show at Sports Radio 94 WIP, our sister station down in Philadelphia. John, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, what's up, Daniel? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All right. So first, before we get into any of this Giants Philadelphia, which is what we connected over on Twitter, I got to ask you, um, Joe Douglas, he was the VP of player personnel for the Eagles, winning a Super Bowl with the team. He is going to be the point person for the Jets head coach, sir. So from what you know of him and his tendencies, do you see him leaning towards any one specific candidate in particular thus far? I know there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, it, it, I think it's it's difficult for me to say who he would like. I would think he wants an offensive head coach just because if you are going to try to rebuild Sam Darnold or build Sam Darnold, if you are going to draft a quarterback, and I don't know what they're going to do. It's not an easy decision. I think that he would view, and, and coming from working in, like he was with the Eagles for a couple of years, right? He really was built in Baltimore with the Ravens. And the Ravens organization is one of the best organiz- organizations in football year after year after year. So I think he values true leadership over maybe maybe offense or defense, but I mean, it's an offensive league and you have a young quarterback. I think he would go offense. Eric Bieniemy, I think makes a lot of sense. His players love him. Patrick Mahomes loves him. I'm just concerned about Bieniemy because the Jets passed him over last time around for this disgrace of Adam Gase. And I'm just wondering that he would be like, yeah, okay, <laughs> forget about it. You know? Well, I mean, he, he could. And I remember when, when Ben McAdoo got hired by the Giants and uh, he was actually, he was using the Eagles for leverage. The Eagles actually wanted to hire Ben McAdoo. And then when McAdoo went back to the Giants, they actually called Tom Coughlin and they tried to hire Tom Coughlin, but he kind of scared him away because he was so mad at the Giants, turned him off. So they hired Doug Peterson, who nobody else wanted, right? Like no one else was interviewing Doug Peterson and he was an ex-Eagle. He was in the Andy, Andy Reid coach tree. So you ended up getting a guy that you didn't even really want. And we can argue if he's a good coach today, but they won the Super Bowl in 2017. Listen, the, the Jets aren't the Jets aren't thought to be a great organization. I, I like Joe Douglas. I have nothing personally against the Jets, but kind of being a little bit down 95, an hour and a half down 95 in Philly. But what I see being a big NFL fan is that I don't know if I'd want to go to the Jets. So I don't know if a guy like the if he has a choice, if he goes to New York, if he goes to the Jets, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. What you know about Joe Douglas, your experience with him, do you think he'd be advocating to keep Sam Darnold or trade him away? Well, I think that it totally depends on what you think of the quarterback that you could take with the second pick. If you're not sold on him, you don't take a quarterback just because there's a quarterback there. The evaluation of what they think of Justin Fields or whoever else they would do there. I mean, honestly, I think that what he does is he runs it back with Darnold. He gives the kid another shot, maybe with some better weapons, with a better offensive head coach. And and from there, if they're bad again next year, okay, then you, you go for a quarterback next year. You know, Joe Douglas, I, I believe, thinks or knows that he has a couple of years to build this up. It, it'd be one thing, and, and I know that their old Jim McCagnan, I guess his name was, like he got he got shot out of here pretty quickly. But Joe Douglas seems like he's got a couple of years to build this up. I would guess he keeps Darnold. He drafts. Maybe he trades back. I don't know if you, if you need an offensive tackle there at number two, but I would think you, you go with Darnold. Now, that could change. If the evaluation of Fields and some other guys, they really like him, they should draft him, and they should get rid of Darnold. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And speaking of quarterbacks, what happened with him? Is Carson Wentz on the market officially? 
Uh, I don't know if it's official, but here's the thing. He played so bad this year, and I don't think anybody saw it coming. He is He's mad. He's mad at, at Doug Peterson, and Doug Peterson is coming back as Eagles head coach in 2021. So the story that's out there is that Carson doesn't know if he, he can repair the relationship with Peterson. It sounds like a bad idea to me to bring all of them back, Jalen Hurts, who came in and played better than, than Wentz did, and Doug Peterson. The, the thing with Wentz was it was all mental. It wasn't – a physical thing. It wasn't that he doesn't have the tools. It was that he was getting sacked a lot and he could, he, he wasn't seeing the field. I mean, he was so bad. It was like a third string quarter. It was like Nate Sudfeld coming in the game. That's how Carson Wentz looked this year. Here's, here's what I'd say about Wentz. I believe that it's his decision. If he comes back after taking a couple weeks off and he says to the Eagles, nah, I'm good. I want to go elsewhere. He's going to be on the trade market because the Eagles aren't going to have a choice. But if he comes back and they have conversations and he say, and they say, all right, let's try to run it back. Let's try to make this work. Then he's going to be back. My guess is that he's back next year. That would be my guess right now. Okay. So we got John Marks here uh, joining us on the fan from Sports Radio 94 WIP in Philadelphia. Um, the Eagles are projected just about $74 million over next year's the salary cap. Who, in your opinion, um, would be the steal of the fire sale down there in Philly? Here's the problem. There's not really a lot of good players that the Eagles have. They have an older roster. They have one of the most expensive rosters that produced absolutely nothing. So guys like Malik Jackson could be gone. Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson has not been able to stay healthy. uh, But when he is healthy, if he can stay healthy, he is an absolute weapon. So I would probably say Deshaun. Alshon Jeffrey's going to be available. I, I, I don't know what, what you can expect to get at Alshon at this point in his career, other than being a, a piece in a, in a wide receiving core that's not going to rely on him to be the main playmaker. There's not really, Danielle, there's not really a lot. There's not. that they're, they're going to, to get under the salary cap, it's not going to be one of these things where they have to just cut everybody. A lot of that money will come off kind of naturally with declining options and things like that. They will have to move on from some guys, but what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to restructure existing contracts to make cap room. So they're going to have to actually make their own cap room by extending some of their guys and giving them some upfront money and extending the contract. So they're kicking the can down the the street a little bit, but that's what they're going to have to do. Deshaun Jackson would be, I, I guess, would be the one guy that that might get the most attention. I'm a Zach Ertz fan. What do you see for him? Well, I mean, so that that's a good one. Uh, he still has one year left on his contract, and that is not a that is not a financial thing. It's a, I want a new contract thing from Zach Ertz and the Eagles wisely saying like, well, we're not going to give you Travis Kelsey money. We're not going to give you close to George Kittle money. We believe you're here. You still have a year left on your contract. So if you want us to give you an extension, it's not going to be for what you think is market value. I think Zach Ertz is still a very good player. He's not a Travis Kelsey. He's not a George Kittle. He's not a Waller. He's not like that, but he's a good possession tight end on a veteran team that's looking for a tight end. He would be a really, really good player. I don't know what's going to happen with Ertz. Um, I would lean that he gets traded, but there has been some communication with with the Eagles and Zach Ertz. He has one year left on his contract. If he wants to play out that that last year, he's not making a big a big sum of money. I guess they would bring him back, but I think he would be available to the right team. And you're probably getting him for a, a mid-round draft pick, which isn't bad. Now the main event, Philadelphia Eagles purposely throwing their very winnable week 17 game versus the Washington football team. And John, before we get into this, I think we can both agree that the Giants should have never put themselves in a position, and you heard it from the head coach, to have to need the help to get in, especially in the worst division in the league. Agreed? Correct. But 
as football fans know, John, that, that it, it isn't a rarity to, to need help to get in. And we're here on Super Wildcard Weekend 2021. <laughs> the Colts needed a win and help, and they got in. The Bears needed a win from the Rams. They got in. Is this too much to fathom that the Giants could have used a big assist from Philadelphia last week? Yeah, screw the Giants. Uh, here's the thing, right? Like, here's what went wrong in the game. Doug Peterson is a dope. He couldn't figure out how to lose a game. You see it all the time. You see it year after year when a game doesn't matter to a team. They'll play the starters for the first half. They'll bring in the backup quarterback for the second half. If they bring in Nate Sudfeld in the second half, to start the second half, Giants fans aren't happy. I wouldn't be happy if I was a Giant fan. But at least it's like, all right, this game's over, whatever. But being down three points heading into the fourth quarter, Danielle, you didn't find a lot of Eagles fans that, that thought that that looked good at all or liked what the Eagles did because they didn't. We, we did three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We got a better draft pick in Philadelphia because of it. Eagles fans were pissed. I was, uh, I was furious. It looked so bad. You can't do that. The players were mad. We had Miles Sanders on our station. He was ticked off, right? So, so Eagles players were pissed. Eagles fans were really ticked off as well. But getting back to the Giants, if Doug Peterson actually knew what he was doing, that game still is lost. That game is still lost because the sixth pick is is more important in a game that's meaningless. And I get it. There's playoff implications. So when they're going into the fourth quarter, I was looking for a win. I was like, I guess they're going for it, right? But agreed that it looked really bad. Agreed that Doug Peterson looks really bad. It, it, it's a loser move. It is. It's a loser move. If you want to go into a game and rest starters and play Nate Sudfeld for the whole game, go for it. But pulling your quarterback going into the fourth quarter is a loser, loser move from a Super Bowl head coach. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. It really was. But Giants fans, whatever. Now, the plan lose. seems to be, the same plan seems to have been to go and lose that game. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Yes. See, I think what, what Doug wanted to do is he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. He wanted to see Jalen Hurts because they're trying to evaluate what kind of a quarterback Jalen Hurts is. And if you're going to move on from Carson Wentz, you better be sure what you have with Hurts. And that's really, really hard to do with three or four games at the end of the season. So I think he tried to keep Hurts in as long as he could before he put in Sudfeld and did what he had to do. And the problem was he kept him in too long. And, well, and he actually, they actually made a game of it. Yeah, the thing is, it, will Jalen Hurts be the Eagles' starting quarterback next year? I know we talked a little bit about Carson Wentz. I, I think Hurts showed you enough that if Wentz is gone, that you have. Like, I, I would run it with Hurts. I would see what he, what he has. The decision to use a second-round draft pick on a quarterback after you sign your franchise quarterback to a $129 million contract, Carson Wentz's contract doesn't even kick in until next year. And they drafted in the second round a quarterback. And they said, oh, we're quarterback factory and we value quarterbacks. Well, how about giving the guy some help? How about giving him another running back or a wide receiver or some some help on defense? Jeremy Chin of Carolina was picked after Jalen Hurts was picked, and he's a Pro Bowl type player just in his rookie season. Uh, I, I like Hurts. He showed some potential, but I'm also not going to confuse some early potential and some clear athleticism. And, and I like like the kid a lot, but we've seen quarterbacks for four games look pretty good. And that doesn't mean squat when it comes to it. The defensive defensive coordinators adjust, and you would have to see what he does next year. What I would have been concerned about if I were the Eagles, why wasn't he given, I think, a valuable experience of trying to execute a game-winning drive in as close to a playoff game as the Eagles were going to sniff this year? Wouldn't that be valuable experience for a young kid? Yep, very valuable. And, and frankly, 
against against the Washington football team. And, and Washington was terrible. They tried to give that game away. The Eagles just wouldn't take it. But still a very good defense, good defensive line. It would have been really, really good game experience to where it's like, hey, Sunday night football, last game of the year. This is for the playoffs. Can you go out there and beat them? And I think that was also part of it, too. I mean, frankly, I'd, I'd rather have the sixth pick than the ninth pick. I'm not giving the, the sixth pick back, but it would have been nice to see what the kid looked like going down the stretch there. And didn't it feel like the Eagles were going to win? Yes. Did it, I mean, it felt like they were going to win, right? So I mean, it was disappointing that it had to end like that. It was. I have a couple quotes here. Could you help us here in New York understand some of the quotes that came out of Philadelphia after that game? The first sure. one being Miles Sanders on your own station. He said, just for our, our audience, he said, Oh man, if I'm being honest, nobody liked the decision. Nobody. I don't know who was the main person behind that decision, but all I know is there's a lot of people on this team who was confused. Would you characterize the players on that team as being confused? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do a uh, I do a, a weekly show with Brandon Graham, and he's been in Philadelphia I think for 11 years now. He's a veteran, so he knows how to answer the questions without ripping the coach or without doing what Miles Sanders did. But it shows you that he was comfortable enough to go on the radio and call out. And by the way, this wasn't Doug Peterson's brilliant idea. This is what I'm going to do. Pretty sure this was an organizational decision. But normally GMs are the ones that tank, not the coaches. And the coach tanked on Sunday night. Players weren't happy. Players weren't happy. They know the way it looked. Like Jason Kelsey, who might be done, longtime Eagles center, he's sitting on the bench like, I can't believe we're doing this. He was just out there for three quarters, putting his career on the line, and now they put in Knight Sudfeld, who everybody knows can't play. We're talking with John Marks, Sports Radio 94 WIP in Philadelphia. You went there, so let's go Jason Kelsey on his Instagram the other day. He wrote, this is like uh, Wednesday, I think. He said, I went up to Doug and asked him if he was taking Hurts out. He said, yes, I think Nate's earned the right to play. What could he possibly have think? Why has he, Nate Sudfeld, earned the right to play? Well, I, I I thought Doug maybe thought it was senior night, so he had to make sure that he could play everybody. Wouldn't that be the only thing? This is the NFL. It's on senior night, and this guy sucks. All right, everybody know that knows that he sucks, but they like him. Jason Kelsey, I'm sure they were rooting for him, right? Like they were hoping he was going to come in and do a good job. This guy sucks. Everybody knew it. Anytime he's ever played, he sucks. So that Doug treated this like senior night, and that's what he tried to explain after the game. He said, well, I wanted to make sure Nate can play. Man, this is the NFL. It, it, Nate didn't earn anything. He didn't earn anything. So Kelsey also, also went on in a statement, and he did say that he was surprised at how it was done. Right, like, Because that's really what it's about is like how it was done. If it happened at the beginning of the game, Giants fans are mad, but we're not talking about it right now. But the way that he did it makes it a story for the entire week in the NFL. Yeah, and I think Giants fans are really seething right now with what you just said. Number three was a quote from, I think it was Peterson, Nate's a guy that's very capable of running our system and executing and had an opportunity to pull out the game last night. But I'm confused, John. Didn't Jalen Hurts score Philly's only points of the game with two rushing touchdowns? Yeah, he did. Nate Sudfeld had no chance to win the game. Anybody that watched it, I was literally laughing out loud. I'm about to go on and do post-game show, and I'm laughing out loud. The last three plays of the game, I guess the last two plays of the game, they don't spike the ball, right? Like, like, like they're going to go 92 yards and score a touchdown anyway, but they don't spike the ball. And then he throws, like, two five-yard dump-offs with it's like, dude, this is the last throw of the game. What are you doing? You know, he, he looked like he looked like a rookie quarterback that had never played on this level and 
frankly, he's been in here for four years. You know, Joe Judge was mad, mad after the game and a couple of days later. I don't blame him. Joe Judge is from the area where I live and where I grew up. I'm a big Joe Judge fan. I think he used it to his advantage to kind of, you know, the fans loved it, the players loved it or whatever. So I, I think we'll see what happens with the Giants quarterback. I, I thought Daniel Jones was going to have a breakout year this year. He didn't. But I think you have the right head coach up there. There seems to be a major philosophical difference now between Peterson and his players in his locker room. So how could he possibly face those guys again next season with any sort of thread or ounce of credibility? Yeah, it's you. I think it's all about how he handles it from here. They're not going to see everybody for a while. The emotion won't be there with it just happening. But you know that they're going to be thinking about it. You know that it's going to be... Hey, remember, remember what Doug did? Like, it's all about what the text chains look like now. Like, you have to ask yourself, what do the text chains look like with Eagles players? And you know what they look like with Doug Peterson. I already have a hard time believing that they respect him. Doug is a good guy, and I think he's a good coach. He doesn't handle and manage the press very well. He guaranteed a win against the Cowboys on our station the day after they lost last year. Brett Favre this year said that he would still keep Nick Foles. They asked Doug about it, and Doug couldn't say, I disagree with Brett Favre. He just would say, oh, I, I respect his opinion. So, it's all about how, how he handles it from here, but this might be the last year of Doug Peterson. If he doesn't win this year, I think he was close to getting fired this year. If he doesn't win this year, he's gone. To me, the justification that, that he still has a job is that you won the Super Bowl in 2017 and you were back in the playoffs the next two years. I, Danielle, I know it sounds crazy. He made the playoffs three straight years and they won the Super Bowl in 2017, but he did such a bad job this year. It's almost like you're giving him the year because he, he did all those things previously. No one really believes that he's going he's gonna to recover. They'll be good next year. John Marks from 94 WIP in Philadelphia. My final question to you is this. Do you have or what is your message to the Giants fans that are listening right now? Uh, the message to Giants fans out there. Well, you shouldn't have used a uh, second overall pick on Saquon Barkley. Wayne Gold. Some wide receivers and you have some position guys there. I don't know if he can. I don't know if he can. But next year, win seven or eight games and you still won't make the playoffs. So good luck to you next year. Good luck to you. Those are some fighting words, old John. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. You got it. Well, I'm just about to tweet to Giants Nation here. How did I do? How did I do, you guys? Are you satisfied with the job I did? Give me a, give me a little shout there on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Here's Mike McCann with an update. Danielle McCartney. Welcome back, everybody, in the 4 o'clock hour. Tim McCartan after midnight. Uh, my question to you on Twitter just now was, how did I do? How did I do, Giants fans, or New York football fans? Uh, not in debate style, but yeah, in a little debate style against John Marks. How did I do? And we had a check-in from literally the next door down, Vince Quinn. He said, leave my man alone. I used to produce Marks a few years back. Also, tanking was totally the right call. Zero regrets from Vince Quinn, which is literally 10 feet that way. There's Vince Quinn. So quickly, quickly, I know you guys are on hold for a long time. I just quickly, quickly wanted to just talk very, very briefly about um, picks for this week. Uh, Pat and I are going to do it really quickly. Um, Pat, the first game, Baltimore Ravens at Tennessee Titans. I'm very flip-floppy on this one. I haven't really nailed down a decision yet. Um, my head wants to say Titans. My heart wants to say Ravens. And Baltimore is the three-and-a-half-point favorite. Ultimately, um, I'm going Ravens here. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tough to not be a prisoner of the moment or the recency bias with how great Baltimore's looked over the last five games. Four of those games were against pretty mediocre opponents. Cincinnati, 
the Giants. I mean, let's you know say it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville and Dallas. But the one impressive win was Cleveland. I think in that game they showed everybody that at least over the last five weeks the offense that got them the number one seed in the AFC last year is back. You couple that with the fact that the defense is better this year. I think the secondary is a lot better this year with Jimmy Smith, uh, Humphrey, Peters, those guys. So I think that will help them to stifle anything that Tennessee will do in terms of the passing game. Now, Tennessee obviously has some great weapons, but ultimately, Danielle, I think it's going to come down to, again, can they stop Derrick Henry? Can they keep Tennessee from dominating the time of possession like they couldn't last year when they knocked him out of the playoffs and also like they couldn't earlier in this season? I think Baltimore does go into Tennessee, and I think, again, that extra layer of motivation from having been knocked out last year, having been beaten this year by them, it's very tough to beat a team three times in a row yep. over the course of a, you know, a calendar year. I think Baltimore gets the revenge. I do think they indeed win. Okay, we agree on that one. Okay, Bears at Saints. The spread is 10 points, New Orleans being the 10-point favorite. I almost want to say this is like a trap game because Drew Brees isn't Drew Brees of old. They're really talking openly about retiring now for him. Alvin Kamara has missed most of the week with uh, you know practice. They've been Skyping him into practice or whatever. Um, platform that they used. Ah, this is totally a trap game. I, you know what? Um, I'm going Saints here. I, I have to stick with the Saints at home, even though I don't think there's going to be any fans. Pat? Yeah, again, I think it's it's tough. It's tough for anybody to confidently say they expect the Bears to win this game. Now, look, if you want to bet on the spread alone, mm-hmm. you know, God bless, 10 points in a playoff game, that is a lot no matter who it is. Uh, but, yeah, I think... It's probably going to be close to that on the spread, if I had to guess. Look, for for Chicago, the offense has gotten better. Obviously, that's been the number one issue for them. Trubisky's looked better. But Allen Robinson has been banged up. Darnell Mooney is now out, so they're missing their number two receiver. Their number one wide receiver is not 100% healthy. The offensive line has been like a sieve at times this year. And they're also missing several of that that key members of that defense that has made them great, which has made their defense very, very beatable recently. If they had a completely healthy defense, Danielle, I'd say maybe they have a shot. But no, with a New Orleans defense now that is better than them with the players they have on the field, even though Trey Henderson's not playing, I don't care. Like, like Chicago is going to – it's going to be a miracle, in my idea, for them to win this game, let alone keep it within one score in the final couple of minutes. I, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not seeing any surprises here. Uh, New Orleans has won this year in a numerous variety of ways without Drew Brees. When the offense hasn't been great, they've got Michael Thomas back now. This should be full steam ahead for them. Look, they could suffer another incredibly uh, heartbreaking loss later in the I playoffs. Not. It's not coming. It's not coming today. All right, so we are together. Ravens, Saints. You're a Browns fan, as my as my listeners know. I, I've been. Uh, tweeting you about the, the the Jets beating the Browns. So Browns at Steelers, I look to see, like you said before, about how, you know, three times in a season, it's very difficult. They split um, the two games this year. Although the Browns did win the most recent game, Mason Rudolph was the quarterback. It wasn't Ben Roethlisberger. So I'm going Steelers here too. I'm going favorites. Favorites all the way down. Ravens, Saints, Steelers. Yeah. Uh, now look, obviously as a Browns fan, I'm trying to keep my fandom out of it. COVID has affected the Browns at the worst possible time. You know, a bunch of teams like Baltimore got hit with it in the middle of the year. They then used that to propel themselves into the postseason. The Browns are getting hit with it at the worst time. So head coach Kevin Stefanski, not there. The OC Van Pelt is going to be calling the plays. That's obviously a huge, huge thing for them to begin with. Um, I think just when you, you talked about they played each other, obviously, just last week. 
I think it's important not to pay too much attention to that. Like you said, Mason Rudolph was a quarterback, but also the Browns were basically missing all of their secondary. And the game against before that, when they played the Jets, they're basically missing all their wide receivers. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't want to just look at it and say, oh, well, the Browns only beat you know Mason Rudolph by two points. They lost to the Jets week before that. The Browns are going to give you a hell of an effort. I'm not sure if it's enough to win. Tech, if I was going to bet this, I'd bet the Browns to cover. I think this is a close game. I think this could be a tremendous way to hopefully finish off the weekend. I, if if Chubb and look, if Chubb and Hunt go for 200 combined yards and they dominate the run game, they dominate the offensive defensive line battle. Yeah, they could win this. Uh, I just don't know if that'll be enough with all the players they're missing on defense uh, with the COVID. Miles Garrett's you know nursing an injury, but they're still missing guys in that secondary. Um, and even though Pittsburgh doesn't have a run game, which is why another reason why I think it'll be close, ultimately the Browns are going to have to do something really, really special. Again, I think this game comes down to the final couple minutes. I would be surprised, though, if Pittsburgh loses to the Browns again here in two straight weeks, considering the past history, considering the games in Pittsburgh. You know, we know no fans. Baker Mayfield's first playoff game. He's got to deal with all the questions he has now finally started to answer, but now on the biggest stage Sunday night football in the postseason. I hope they do. Uh, I'm just not going to go out there and say with conviction that the Browns are going to win this game, but I do think it will be close. So me and you, we are picking favorites all the way down. Okay, back to the calls in the order that you guys called. If you want to get aboard, 877-337-6666. Thank you for holding all of you guys. Eric in Ronkonkoma, you are up first here on The Fan. Hey, morning, Danielle. How are you? I'm good, Eric. How are you? Good, good. The only thing I would have I'm curious because I don't know when that interview took place. Was uh, I know you had asked him about you know what, uh, Joe Douglas, uh, which direction he may go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the last couple of days, people are talking about trying to go get Deshaun Watson, if that's even a possibility. But uh, you know, but aside from that, uh, you know, I thought that was a pretty cool interview. No, oh, um, thanks. Well, so actually, someone so, just DM'd okay. me asking about Deshaun Watson, and I'll answer it very shortly to you and to him. No. No for Joe uh, Deshaun Watson on the Jets, but go ahead. As far as going after him, or yeah, no, just, uh, no, the, he the guys. No, nah, I don't. I I would stick with Sam Darnold. If not, then you draft after that. Right, right. Okay, I got a. Uh, you had a caller about an hour ago, uh, who was uh, supposedly a suffering, uh, uh, <laughs> a suffering Yankee fan on there, and from what I gathered, uh, the impression I got was that he sounded you know, fairly young and, and, uh, you know, probably, uh, to my guess is that he probably doesn't even know what the actual experiences of suffering Yankee fan on there because I'm old enough to, yeah. you know, have lived through the, uh, you know, the, the eighties when the Yankees were really bad, mm-hmm. you know, up until they started winning pretty much 90, you know, from 94 on. Yeah. So a lot of these, a lot of these people call up, and say, uh, you know, I mean, granted, they only won one championship, in, you know, since since 2009. Mm-hmm. I understand that, mm-hmm. but they're they're in it all the time. You know, the, the prospect of, you know, the the chance to win. So, you know, unless you're someone like Joe D, who is old enough to know, you know, the, the actual history on there, a lot of these people will call up and say, uh, you know, they're suffering fans. Don't know what you know. You can't compare. Suffering to that, to you know, let's say a Met fan or or someone else who, you know, gets in there once every you know ten, eleven years, kind right, of thing. Right, right. So, um, you know, and the other thing that drives me crazy too. All right, <laughs> I, I know I'm going to catch some flack for this. Oh no! But you know, I mean, 
Hey, can we stop with the 27 championships being thrown in the Mets faces? <laughs> I mean, li- literally, literally 19 of those championships came before the Mets even existed. <laughs> oh man. I mean, really in all, in all honesty. Yeah. I mean, and, and one of, and, and they won the year the Mets came into the league on there. So I'm not saying that they shouldn't be proud of all those championships, but don't throw that in the, in the Mets fans faces on there because there's no way they, they could have, you know, unless they win one every other year, as long as the Mets have been around, there's no way they're going to match that. Right. Okay. So I see enough of that, please. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I just had to throw that out there. I mean, I know I'm, I know I'm ranting on here. Yeah, but, no, no, you know, I mean, it makes let sense. The, let the, it's logical. Yeah. I mean, look, let the, let the Mets fans enjoy the fact that they got Lindor and Carrasco, which I thought was great when I saw that the other day. And, uh, you know, deal with your own team right now. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, are you getting a little worried that maybe the Mets are starting to get good and might take over your, your new spot on the paper? I mean, come on, let's be real. That's here, absolutely right? what it was. Yes. Right. Right. So let, let's, you know, calm down a little bit, focus on your own team, get LeMayu, you know, and, and then, you know, you, you know, deal with that. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there, Danielle. Uh, you, you have a good day. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's a fair point. I, you know, I, I even, listen, I, I don't like that. We have 27 championships. I, I don't like that excuse at all. I really don't. I think it's stupid. I think it's a stupid argument. Were you alive in, you know, 1920? I mean, 1920, baseball is so different. I just, I just don't like the argument. That's all. And, I, and I'm with you there. And, um, the fact of the matter that the Mets came in after, you know, 19 of them, according to you, Eric, I mean, that's, it's a stupid argument all around, but it's an even st- more stupid argument here, uh, right here in New York with that. Okay, let's go to Kevin in Copeg. I'm going in the order that you guys call. Kevin in Copeg, you're on the fan. You say Carrasco, I say Carrasco. I guess that's the uh, the New York accent there. I, I say Carrasco because I, I, I teach Italian, so it's like Carrasco. It's almost like an Italian name. That's why I say it. And here comes Francisco Lindor. Welcome sight for Mets fans, don't you think? No, it's just it was. I woke up, I saw it on Twitter. It was like a dream. I was like, you, you can't, you, you can't be serious, you know? <laughs> yeah, am I dreaming right now? Is this for real? Yeah, I know. And, and, then, and then you see, I mean, people saying Jimenez. I mean, I heard some callers they were complaining about losing Jimenez. I mean, yeah, he's a great defender and everything like that. But his bat was a little light. I mean, he, he was he wasn't really hitting for power. I mean, to get power at the shortstop position that's like a a luxury you know yeah it's it's a no-brainer it, and and especially not even just that it's just getting the true number two starter um with Syndergaard on the shelf I mean that's 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 it's just huge it's huge did you see his Instagram video uh Lindor uh no I didn't I saw Carrasco's I didn't see Lindor's yeah it was really cool he did like a, a montage and he had a, a picture of him with like Keith Hernandez David Wright Jose Reyes oh, really? Piazza Oh, I'm going to look it up on the next break. Yeah, I'm, I'm t- typing it in right now. Do you think Long Island's Mats can have a bounce back here? Uh, I hope so. I do hope so. I mean, I, I hope that he is working with the new Mets, um, not new, but, you know, with the Mets pitching coach and, and, and working on some things that he needs to work on. I, I just, I hope so because he's a local kid. He, he's got a lot of fans around here, and I'm just hopeful, yeah. Who's at third base? You think JD Davis right now? Right now it's J. Yeah, I looked at this, the depth chart. Right now it's JD Davis. But if you heard uh, Sandy Alderson on with uh, Evan and and Carton, yeah, Evan, I saw that. Evan asked him. Yeah. He wasn't really committal to him being the third baseman right now. So there could be more movement. Um, if if you're the Mets, 
I just think that J.D. Davis is an actual liability at third base. I don't think you can roll into the season with him with his 953 fielding percentage there at the hot corner. Did you, did you see uh, Chris Bryant and Kyle Seager's names come up? Yeah, I saw uh, I saw Chris Bryant come up. Um, and we'll talk to Joe DeMann a little bit about, about the possibility of the Yankees getting uh, – I mean, the Mets getting um, Chris Bryant. It's okay. It's an okay thing. Or do, or, or do you think the Mets go out and get like a guy like Nolan Arenado at this point? Do they do it? Do they make the deal? I could just see Kyle Seager. That'd be funny in the NLCS with Corey Seager on the Dodgers <laughs> and Kyle Seager on the Mets. Joe Buck would be drooling. Oh, you are already projecting the Mets to the NLCS. I like it. <laughs> I'm very confident. And I think Lindor will have an influence on Edwin Diaz. They're both uh, Puerto Rican. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's a, that's a general, that's a generality. And thanks for the call there, That's a real generality because we're the same, you know, me and Pat, we're both Irish Italians. Pat, I'm going to have a really big influence on you just because of our nationalities. I mean, that's, you know, um, I think Lindor, see, I think that Edwin Diaz, and it's a good point. I think Edwin Diaz was looking for Carlos Beltran to help him out. And he said it actually. Um, I think Edwin Diaz is going to be the greatest beneficiary still by having no fans in the stands. I think he had a bounce back year. I expect more of that, but to just say, oh, because they're both Puerto Rican, I think that's just not fair. Um, Lindor is an excitable player, an exciting player, and it's an exciting time to be a Met fan. That's for sure. So I know I got two calls here still. Uh, you guys hang on there. 877-337-6666. If you guys still want to get aboard, that would be great. We have Joe DeMeo coming up at 440. I appreciate you guys hanging on. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan. We had a lot of people opt in to this season. Okay. We had a lot of people opt in. All right, coaches, players, that includes family members as well. All right, so to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day in, day out basis and to empty the tank, and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always gonna do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever wanna disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. Let's get down to business. This is Tiesto. It's a good song. And Joe Judge get got down to business there, you guys. I just had on John Marks here from Philadelphia. You guys are killing him on Twitter. <laughs> it's pretty pretty funny on Twitter. So if you guys wanted to tweet me your reactions to that, I, of course, can send them along to him. Um, and, you know, this season, both of our Jets and our Giants are watching the playoffs like us from their couches again. Um, so I ask you guys, New York football fans, who is your adopted team this playoffs? And I think strictly for betting purposes, uh, I'm going with the Bills to win the AFC, um, the AFC, I'm sorry, the AFC conference. I, I voted, I, I, I not voted. I, um, I bet back on, I screenshot it before. I think it was March 17th for them to win. So I am all in on the Bills to win the AFC championship. And then I'm all in on the Bucks to take it all because that same night, I, I I also bet them a few times by accident. I hit the button a few times by accident, so uh, they all went through. Apparently, um, I, I have to root for the Bucks to take it all for that point in time. Uh, the Giants were really ready to be playing on on uh, Saturday night a couple hours ago, and like I said in the open, Joe Judge was watching film from the last Giants Tampa Bay game with the. Um, the Philadelphia-Washington game on in the background. Unfortunately, though, the Giants didn't get the help they needed, and the Jets and Giants will be watching the playoffs from their couches, just like the rest of us. Let's go in the order that you guys called. JJ in Los Angeles, you're on the fan. 
Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Of course. What's up? I'd like to ask you two questions, and I'm going to listen in. Okay, cool. I'm a big Josh Allen guy, and I feel like he's underrated. I wanted to know if you think um, he's the real deal or he might be a Carson Wentz. And on that same token, if you could please give me a list of your top four or five quarterbacks that you would take for the next seven, eight years to be your quarterback in your team Hmm. currently in the NFL. Yeah, current quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah, who would you take to be your franchise quarterback, the top four quarterbacks for the next seven years? Um, But before, I just want to ask a clarifying question here. So, like, if I pick, let's say, Drew Brees, like, he would have to be playing those four years, right? So, right, away, right. Away. So, it won't be okay. Brees and Brady, right? Gotcha. Okay. Right. okay. Hey, you never Young know about guns. Brady. Thank yeah. you so much. Okay, cool. You got it. All right. So, we'll take the, the first question first there. Uh, is Josh Allen the real deal or a Carson Wentz type? I think he's a real deal. I think he, he, you know, again, here's the same old argument. Surround him with talent and you see what he can do. You always play up when there's talent around you. And, of course, the Bills – and the Pigulas went out and got him Stefan Diggs, they, a Lamborghini to play with, right? Um, but the fact, the astounding fact that he has totally, um, what's it called, um, increased his completion percentage, markedly increased his completion percentage, is, is just a testament to the system being tailored to him, him going out and studying, pro- probably reading coverages better than he ever has, Making smarter decisions as a quarterback is it's marked growth. You're seeing marked growth in Josh Allen. I think he's the real deal, and I think he is going to be the new king of the AFC East. Unfortunately for the New York Jets. Now, if you're looking at um, and the next question was who are your who are the four quarterbacks you're taking uh, in the NFL moving forward? And I guess that kind of parlays into the Josh Allen question. Um, one, I think atop everybody's list is, is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I talked with Phil Sims, and he said, this is years ago, Patrick Mahomes is the most fundamentally sound quarterback that he's, I think he said he's ever seen, or one of. So Patrick Mahomes is going to be number one for me. I would probably, and this might be surprising, I'm looking down the list here, I, I almost want to go, like I, like I almost want to go uh, Josh Allen number two. But just because of the improvement that he's made, you asked for four. Okay, so the next one I'm going to go with. See, I think Teddy Bridger. No. Daniel Jones is another one. No. Okay, I'm going to go. Haskins is already out. Okay, I'm going to go. Here it is. I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, number three, and four. Oh, number four, I like what Baker Mayfield's done this season. And call me crazy. So that would be my top. Mahomes, Allen, um, the guy from the Chargers. What's his, I just said it. Herbert. Herbert and uh, Mayfield. Those are my top four I'm moving forward. If if I had to rebuild my franchise around any one of them today, tonight, this morning, that's who I'm building. Because And also, too. Josh Allen, he's on the TV right now. I mean, the shovel pass touchdown to the tight end, that was such a heads-up play. Like you, That's a veteran play. He was committed to the run. He tucked the ball, and then all of a sudden he looks up, has his eyes up, his head up, and there's a tight end right there. So, I, you know, Josh Allen, I believe, is is the real deal. All right, uh, let's go Ben in Queens. Just in the order that you guys call it, Ben in Queens, you're up next. Morning there, Coach. What's up? First, firstly, uh, rest in peace and a thank you. 
to Tommy Lasorda. Yeah. And I will say this as a Yankee fan, I hated Tommy Lasorda because he was a Dodger. But at the same time, I respected Tommy Lasorda. There was a time where I wanted Tommy Lasorda to be kind of in the Joe Torre position. Mm-hmm. You know, with yeah. Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like a front he, office position, you mean? Because he ate, walked, <laughs> talked all baseball. Mm-hmm. It was mostly Dodgers, but I, there's few other people who's ever been involved in the game that talked as much about the game than Tommy Lasorda. Yeah. And the problem is now you don't see that many people connected with baseball that could hype up and convert people to baseball the way Tommy could. Yeah, and it's just it shows how I guess there's a stark contrast of what a manager was then and what a manager is now, and I wish it went back to what it was then, in a way, you know? Yep, but, well, it's something we've talked about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm sure Tommy used stats, but he also balanced it with gut feeling. Right, right. You know, that it wasn't all, I got to pull out a big book. You know, I, I forget which, I think it was an, a retrospective on 88, where he right before the Gibson home run, he goes like, you think I should do it? I don't know. His numbers ain't too good. He, he doesn't look too good. You know what? I'm going to do it. That's what that's the, the, the decision yeah. Tommy Lasorda did. Where he said, hey, Gibson, you're hot. <laughs> you know, there it goes. That, that's I know. Tommy. I know. Uh, about the football today, real quick. You know, it's it's about time right now where we have to start taking measure of the Seahawks. As you said before, you know, people glossed over the Giants' win there, and I did too, to tell you the truth, because I thought golf would be out. I thought it would yeah. be the the guy that got knocked out for the whole game. That's why I chose the Seahawks, my only loss of the day. And I'm just like, when golf comes into that game, and I saw that first pass, <laughs> my first thing was, yeah, the Seahawks are in trouble. They need to start scoring now. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. See, I just – my thought process in taking the Rams was just the Seahawks looked so human, so so human versus the Giants when the Giants went in there and beat them. That's the only reason why I took the Rams, and it worked out for me. And the other thing that's going to stick in a lot of the 12th man's craw is for a majority of that second half, Aaron Donald was not in that game. I know, I know. That's That's what's going to hurt them. Seriously, I agree with both you and Pat for for later today, straight across the board. The team that I worry about the most is Baltimore, because by all rights, by all rights, this is a revenge game. This is a game where you show up to be countered or show up to be counted, right? The problem is with this team is there is no Ray Lewis. There is no Ed Reed. The, the Titans are going to bop this team in the mouth again. Mm. And now we've got to see how uh, Lamar, but most importantly, how the defense reacts. Right. Because you know they have that dude, Derrick Henry, on the other side. And, and, <laughs> and Tannehill without Adam Gase, who has been absolutely unleashed. And those are the two things that would, would cause me to pause to pick the Ravens. You're right. <laughs> and the last thing, and I'll leave with this, and once again, thank you for the time. Katie Sowers, yeah. thank you for what you did in, with the 49ers. Mm-hmm. 
I am hoping you land with another team. I'm not sure. You know, I would say Jets. You know, you know me with this. I want to get like Eric Bieniemy. I want to get a lot of like young minds. Well, Eric Bieniemy ain't that young, but I'm just for a chance sake. I want to get minds in there to push. Let's just push it. The, the, the team nickname is the Jets. So my offense needs to be wild. My offense needs to be, we, we got to be throwing the ball. We got to be exciting. We got to, if we're going to use Sam Darnold, and I disagree with you with Deshaun Watson, but we'll talk about that next week. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to let this kid loose. Give him speedy receivers. Give him scat backs. Give him, let's be actual Jets. If I'm going to lose, let me go lose swinging. Coach, once again, thank you for the time. Talk to you next week. Yeah, of course, Ben. Um, and I and I was just answering a tweet at Johnny Rock forty four. Um, just tweeted me. He said Herbert and Mayfield over Watson. And I just answered him back. And I said I would like to see Watson with better talent around him in order to give him a better recommendation. But as of right now, today, this is my list. I also don't like the fact that Deshaun Watson demands to be included in a GM search, and now he's like all like butthurt about it. I mean, come on, you're, you're a quarterback. You're not LeBron James, which I don't even like LeBron James meddling in any of this anyway. Do your job. You I, you shouldn't have to be included. You shouldn't have to be included in a GM search. I'm sorry. Is it wrong to say that? I don't think it's too wrong to say that. You're a player. It's the front office. It's the head coach even, which really who should be picking the GM is the ownership. That's who should be picking the GM. Sure, you can ask for player input. That's it. I wouldn't even ask for player input to be honest with you, because who's going to be around longer, the, the the player or the um, or the uh, the GM? I don't. I just don't like it. That's that's kind of why he fell a couple pegs on my list here too this week. Um, it's just it's causing a distraction. And and if you want to talk about him coming to the Jets, uh, that's fine. But him uh, just causing that distraction down there in, in, with the Texans. Um, I think the Jets don't need that. That's the last thing that the Jets need. Please. Uh, Andy in Miami, you're on the fan. Uh, Coach, it's great to see you. I love the pre-check with the Italian jersey. I missed your opening segment, but I'm sure it was for Tommy Lasorda. Yes, you got it. And from Pennsylvania, my favorite Tommy Lasorda story is when um, somebody said something anti-Italian. I don't know if it was Kurt Bavacqua or Joe LaFay. And uh, Tom Needenfuehr went up and in on him, and I think hit him. And they said something after the game, and uh, Tommy Lasorda says, "I don't throw out 160 hitters," which I think tells you all you need to know about Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> yeah, 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 cool story. So I'll give you a literary reference, Coach, as it relates to the Mets and the Yankees. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> I called you six weeks ago, and I said. So they're not signing DJ LeMayu, and they're making him wait. Their best player for the past two years, a legit MVP candidate, a batting title winner. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're not doing it is, is a couple million. And I brought up to you six weeks ago Ridiculous. Patrick Corbin mm-hmm. because they needed pitching that year. Mm-hmm. They got Paxton. They let Corbin walk. Corbin was somebody that Cashman had been trying to get for years, the way he'd been trying to get Garrett Cole for years. He was there, you know. He was their, their whale. Mm-hmm. Um, That's another literary reference. Dick. There you go. Right. There you go. Another another reference. And my concern is, you know, they didn't sign Corbin, who won game seven 
for the Nationals in the World Series mm-hmm. over like five million or ten million or one more year. And now they're not going to give they're not going to give DJ LeMayu a hundred million over five years. Why? They're not going to give him a hundred million over five years because it's it, it's a luxury tax problem. The collective bargaining agreement ends after the 2021 season. Mm-hmm. It's going to be completely redone. I just, what are we doing? Yeah, I just feel that they feel that the, the luxury tax is going to go down because of the COVID, and they're, they're going to cry poverty, all the owners. That, that's what I feel, and I, and I just don't know if they know what those thresholds are now going to be. I'm not sticking up for them. I think DJ LeMay, who should have been signed uh, months ago, um, but I think that's the spec. hesitation. Yeah, what? They're doing it on spec. They're yeah, thinking I know. the luxury tax is going to go down. The luxury yes. tax may not go down. It may I not. Mean, it's, it, right. it's a guess. Right. And my concern is this. The one thing they needed more of was the type of contact hitting that DJ LeMay is Not more of, you know, strikeout or home run right. Correct. that Stanton gives. Yep. So Stanton and Sanchez re-signed. and Judge, all of them. Yeah, they re-signed Sanchez. I mean, they re-signed Sanchez and then let's get McCann. So let's get to the best of times. The yep. best of times is the Mets. Now, I tweeted at you today because I'm a student of your show, and you, you, on your own, you already know that, you, on your own, brought up last year the fact that there was talk that the Mets, if they got Cohen as their owner, might go after Francisco Lindor. And because you are prescient, you actually discussed comparable numbers with Rosario. Yes. And I'm sure you recall, you said based on the money that Lindor would cost, you'd stick with Rosario. Correct. Well, now... The Mets gave up Rosario and Jimenez. And I understand I'm not going to sit here and say with a straight face that Lindor is not the best of the three shortstops right now and probably still will be. That being said, uh, Rosario and Jimenez are not going to command $300 million. Mm-hmm. And my question isn't what Lindor costs now. It's obviously an amazing trade. And I will add the fact that they got Carlos Carrasco who could be even a legit number two for an affordable contract and for another two years, I think makes the deal worth it. My concern is I don't think you can get Springer now. I don't think you can get Bauer now. And the reason is you're going to still need a third baseman. And if you get a Nolan Arenado or if you try to get a Trevor Story or or somebody else. Sounds like we're building an all-star team here, Andy. Sounds like Steve Cohen can do that. He's built an all-star team with every – every uh, entity he's ever done. And what people don't know is that he's really into a lot of horse racing and it won't be, this is Steve Cohen's horse. It will be a shell company that Steve Cohen owns because that's how successful the man is. And that's how quiet he is about what he does. But the question I'm saying is you can't get a Bauer and you can't get, you know, a Springer if you're going to give Lindor a $300 million contract. So while I love the splash and while it's comparable to Gary Carter and while it's comparable to Keith Hernandez, I would like you to contrast this with what you said a year ago about how you would keep Rosario over Lindor because of how much money um, Lindor would command. Although I do think the X factor and what I didn't know about Lindor that I know about him now is just in the, Five minutes I went on his Instagram, this guy lights up a room and is a natural-born leader. Right. And when Plezak and the other pitcher last year, Clevenger, violated protocol for COVID, he got right in their face. Yeah, I and love it. Let's be honest. The Mets need that. Yep. And Andy, good call there. And guess what? I have that ready for you. Um, but And please, if you hang on until about 
5 a.m. I, I do have that for you. I have the comps right in front of me. Landor, Rosario. Uh, we are going to hit. We have to go um, Joe DeMeo right now, everybody. So Joe DeMeo from uh, SNY TV. And that's So Mets podcast coming up right now. Sports Radio 101.9 WFAN-FM. We're here on McCartan After Midnight on the fan with Joe DeMeo. He's a contributor to SNY TV and the co-host of the That's So Mets podcast. Joe and I had met at the Queens Baseball Convention a couple years ago now. And, and Joe, I had you in the on-deck circle for, for many weeks, just waiting for the Mets to make a big splash. So here we are. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thanks. Really appreciate you having me on. Obviously, the headline is that the Mets are getting Francisco Lindor. He seems to fit like an absolute glove to the Mets. I think everybody can agree with that. True shortstop, defensive, sprays the ball all over the field. And Joey, you know, you're a baseball nerd like me. So what reservations, if you had to pick one, um, do you see in Francisco Lindor's game? Uh, Honestly, the only thing that I think you can pick any holes in is the last couple of years, he struggled with runners in scoring position. Believe he hit under 200 with runner scoring position in the short in 2020. And then he hit around 210 with runners in scoring position in 2019. That's really it. I mean, he hits for pretty good average. He gets on base at a good enough clip. He certainly has power. He's hit over 30 home runs in the last three full seasons that were played. Can steal 20 plus bags. And he's a gold glove. He, he even won a platinum glove, but he's a gold glove caliber shortstop. And that's really where I think you're going to see probably the biggest difference from what the Mets had previously at shortstop is shortstop was a black hole defensively. Uh, Andres Jimenez came in in the shortened season and he played slightly above average defense, but Lindor is going to be playing elite defense at short. It's an absolute game-changing move. Frankly, it's probably the biggest trade the Mets have made since Johan Santana. So this is a major, major move. And, oh, by the way, Carlos Carrasco as well. Why would – is it just simply salary? Like, why would Cleveland include him in the deal as well? I think money was the main driver for sure, but Carrasco even has a reasonable deal. He's under control the next two years, $12 million per season, and then the Mets will have a club option for the third year at $14 million. So it, it's not an absurd sum of money, but Cleveland was able to clear 30 something million of money this year. And that's unfortunately in this current climate, what teams are looking to do first, uh, look at the U Darvish trade. Cubs basically gave him to the Padres. This return isn't quite that, but yeah, I think money was a main driver and including Carrasco might've actually added to the package. So if you think the package was kind of light, I think if Carrasco wasn't in it, it probably would have been even lighter. Yeah. That's kind of where I was going with the next question. So it, do you think one, I guess, do you think the deal goes through if it was just Lindor, not Carrasco? And then if it was just Lindor, what would the Mets have given up just for him? So I think the Mets would have done it without Carrasco. Uh, Jared Porter and Sandy Alderson said that the deal was mostly focused around Lindor. And it wasn't until recently that the Indians showed a willingness to include Carrasco as well. And the Mets were like, well, we have a need at starting pitching. So that makes perfect sense. Let's see if we could get him in there. Like you might've taken one of the prospects out for Lindor. So one of Isaiah Green or Josh Wolf, and you might've done something like Jimenez, Rosario, and one of those prospects for just Lindor. And then I think throwing in Carrasco kind of got them another top 10 prospect in the system. We're talking with Joe DeMeo here on the fan. And Joe, you are a Mets 
prospect specialist, and which is one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on here with me this weekend. And, you know, I, I think back to and still currently how Mets fans are still lamenting the trading of, of, of Jared Kellenick. And an angle not so taken in this deal. Obviously, it's a blockbuster deal. Obviously, they are two headliners coming to New York. But the angle not really taken, I don't hear as much as what are the Mets giving up in a farm system that isn't the strongest. So we'll go one by one. Based on your scouting, your numbers, your opinion, what would the Mets potentially be missing out on Isaiah Green? Because Indians president Chris Antonetti called him, and these are quotes, great tools and skills on both sides of the ball, good plate discipline, great bat-to-ball ability, and all the tools to be successful. Yeah, Isaiah Green was the Mets' third-round pick this year uh, out of a high school in California, and they absolutely loved him. The scouts, uh, I know the area scout that was responsible for drafting him, and the Mets were huge fans of Isaiah. And to uh, Mr. Antonetti's point, he shows some good bat-to-ball skills. I don't think power will ever really be a part of his game. He's an above average runner and he, he could play center field. So he's certainly a valuable asset, but I, I think the Mets have enough at center field with someone like Pete Crow Armstrong, who's higher up in the system where they're able, they're able to part with someone like green to be able to pull off this blockbuster deal. And I, I think they could survive without the, these two prospects in their system. They're, I had them ranked eighth and ninth in the system. And like you said, it's, a bottom 10 system or so in baseball. I think Baseball America actually had him ranked 20th. You know, if you're able to pull off acquiring a superstar and a borderline number two starter and the biggest prospects you're giving up are eight and nine in a bottom 10 system, that's really not too bad. So Josh Wolf, Antonetti describes him as having an above average fastball, a good slider and a developing changeup. The Mets going to miss him much? It doesn't sound like it. They have a chance to just because there's not a ton of pitching in the system. Uh, Matt Allen and JT Ginn from the last two drafts are their two top pitching prospects. Uh, Wolf was the third best pitching prospect in the system. Second round pick in the 2019 draft. And he was what I'd call a pop-up prospect, which after his junior year of high school, he was throwing 92, something like that. And that made him not really a top five round prospect. And then he showed up in his senior year of high school and he was touching 97, filled out a little more, has a pretty solid breaking ball. His changeup needs a ton of work. He has upside. Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline, when the Mets drafted him, compared him to Lance McCullers Jr. of the Astros. So that's kind of where you're looking at upside wise. But he's a guy that if that changeup doesn't develop, he could just end up a two pitch power reliever. You could survive without those guys for sure. We're talking with Joe DeMeo, contributor to SNY TV and co-host of the That's So Mets podcast. Obviously, the two MLB names in the, in the deal on, from the Mets side, Ahmed Rosario, and um, we'll, we'll take him first. Ahmed Rosario, I mean, he used analytics, and I'm a baseball nerd, I'll, I'll admit it, but he used analytics to really greatly improve his defense in the field, and we saw an uptick in his defense. I guess, what do you see the ceiling of him being? Obviously not Lindor type, but what do you see his ceiling being? When Rosario was coming up, he was legitimately with Glaber Torres as arguably the best prospect in all of baseball. Yeah. He just never lived up to the potential. And he was a hard worker. And like you said, he embraced the analytics. And in 2020, his defense at short actually did take a step forward in the shortened season. But at this point, I don't think he has really that high end potential that he once had. 
I mean, he's still 25, so it's not inconceivable that he can still tap into it. But I think he's more likely to be a average regular or if he's willing, which his trainer seemed to indicate last month that Rosario doesn't want to play anything but shortstop. But if he's willing to pick up a center fielder's glove, a third base glove, maybe a second base glove, he could prove to be a pretty valuable kind of like super utility guy that can run the bases. He's fast, athletic. If he could play a few spots and maybe tap into a little power, I think that could be certainly a role for him going forward. But I just I just don't think he'll ever amount to what I and, and many in the scouting community thought he would be. Now, that's a good point. And, you know, I think a lot of players we're seeing with DJ LeMahieu and guys like him, like being able to be versatile, that, that's a big plus. And, and one of those guys for the Mets was who I think is the biggest loss in this whole thing, Andres Jimenez. He's a true third baseman for them, but has played other positions. I feel like now with his departure, the Mets really don't have a real true third baseman. And that that's a, to me, that's a big thing. That's a big hole. Yeah. Jimenez is a guy that I didn't expect to make the team this year. Uh, he was in double A last year. He really didn't perform that great, had some injury issues. And then he went to the Arizona Fall League and won the batting title. And they were like, all right, show up to spring training, showed a bit and made the team. And his defensive presence at shortstop and third, and they played him at second some too. Mm-hmm. You know, he showed the ability to play all of the positions. He's a high IQ player. I don't think he's ever going to be an impact bat. But high baseball IQ, run the bases, play all the infield positions at an above average level. And a a comp that I had gotten from scouts when I asked when he made the team, all right, what kind of player are you looking at? Cesar Hernandez, who you may know mostly from his time with the Phillies, was kind of a pro comp. So he has the chance to be an above average regular for sure. And, you know, but you, you did have to give something in the deal. And Cleveland was unwilling to do a deal without Jimenez in it is my understanding. Yeah, I heard I heard that was the starting point for a lot of teams that came knocking for the Mets. Now, I mean, that's two different philosophies. Cleveland seems to be, you know, rebuilding. The Mets seem to be going for it. So as the roster stands right now, Joe, do you think the Mets have the talent to finish first in the very competitive NL East? I think Atlanta's better as we stand today, but I think the Mets are very competitive. And especially if they get Noah Syndergaard back, If he's able to make that early June versus late June, I think that can make a big difference. If you can put the top of your rotation with DeGrom, Stroman, Syndergaard, and now Carlos Carrasco, you're in really good shape. And I still think more starting pitching could be on the way. The Mets were at the workout for James Paxton, and they will be at the workout for Corey Kluber. And to me, I think that's a prime spot for them to capitalize on the high upside of a Kluber or a Paxton because they could come in and essentially be a back-end guy in this rotation, but be able to pitch like a number three. So the Mets could have one of those big-time rotations again if Syndergaard comes back and they get one more arm like a Kluber or Paxton. And then you have needs in the bullpen. I know they're interested in Brad Hand. I love Brad Hand. Yeah, I'm a huge Brad Hand guy. I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off because I think he may have an opportunity to close with the White Sox. I know that he's in talks with them, but the Mets are certainly trying there. And then of course, center field and third base, like you said, to a degree, it is a need. I look at third kind of more of just a place where they can upgrade. Like if you tell me that you have JD Davis and Luis Guillerme at third base, like it's not ideal, but you can make it work 
especially given the rest of the talent on the team. And it'd be nice to be perfect everywhere, but even Steve Cohen said, you you can't fill every hole in one offseason, so you'll be something where you're it's not ideal, but I think they can make it work between those guys. Now, I don't know if you heard anything from the Mets of, of watching Paxton or whatever, but do you then have a preference? And we're talking with Joe DeMeo from SNY TV here. Bauer, Kluber, Springer, Paxton, any of these guys, do you have, you know, the main target? Who should it be for them? Or are they done? They're not done. They are not done for sure. They have, as it stands today, around $27 million between them and the luxury tax. There's a thought that they could go over it, but I'm of the belief that they will not. They'll end up being a bit under it this year because the CBA ends after this year. And when the new CBA comes across, we don't know what the luxury tax will be next year. There's a chance it goes down because of the COVID and just the financial landscape of baseball. But we also don't know what the penalties will be for being a multi-time offender. We know what they are now, but what if the penalties jump to a bigger level, then you're setting yourself up into kind of a real pickle. But if they want to make a big splash, to me, the big splash is finding a way to move money and get George Springer in center field. To me, he was my number one target coming into this offseason. I thought Lindor personally was a fallback for them. But what they're showing is just being willing to play with the market. JT Realmuto didn't want to play in early December. James McCann did. So they went and made the move. Other relievers didn't want to play, and Trevor May did, so they made the move. Cleveland was ready to go with Lindor, so they made the move. If you're able to maybe clear a Jairus Familia salary and get Springer to agree to a deal with maybe a lot of deferred money in it, that could help kind of with your luxury tax payroll going forward. Because don't forget, after this year, both Syndergaard and Michael Conforto are free agents. And the last thing you want to do is make a move that is kind of really 2021 focused and cost yourself both of those guys, which Springer may. Yeah. I was just going to go there and, and I I'm with you that Springer may, cause that was the next question I had. What would that mean for the Mets keeping guys like Conforto or Syndergaard? I think, I think in, in the hierarchy, you're, you're keeping Conforto no matter what Syndergaard depends on how he does, but you know, I don't know. I, I almost want to say stay away from Springer because it would mean po- potentially giving up a guy like Conforto, who has been so instrumental to the Mets. The question I want to ask to you is, and it's just kind of starting to grumble, Chris Bryant, true third baseman. If you were to make a package for him, which I don't think they will because of the money, what we were just talking about and the luxury tax. But if they were, knowing the farm system, knowing the Mets as well as you do, what would be your trade package for a Chris Bryant? So if I'm making a deal for Bryant, I have some reservations about him. Um, He has a bit of a shoulder deal that some people are concerned about. This past year, he dealt with some oblique issues and some finger issues, and he's on a one-year deal, so it would be a rental. He's estimated through arbitration to get somewhere around 18 to 19 million. When I said 27 million at the tax, if you go for a Bryant and take out all that money, you're going to either not get a starting pitcher, not get something in the bullpen, not get a center fielder. So for me, if I'm making a trade for Bryant, I'm forcing them to take Jerry. Or two in like a step below what they gave in the Lindor deal. So maybe guys just outside the top 10. I think he'd help the Mets for sure. He's not a great fielder, but he's certainly a 
better fielder than J.D. Davis is. He's a righty bat with thump who performed in 2019, but there's some underlying things in his stat cast that makes me a little worried. But if it's a value play, I, I could be behind it. Like if it's Familia and maybe a lower prospect or two, but you have to imagine the Cubs could do better than that. What do you, what concerns you about him in, in his stat line there? Outside just, you know, the kind of general stats getting nerdy here, like the hard hit rate, the barrel rate. So he's not barreling balls up at the same rate for the last two years. His exit velocity is not really there. And another factor is when he was in Chicago, Chris Bryant and Chili Davis did not see eye to eye. That's a bit of a concern as Chili Davis is obviously the, the Mets hitting coach. So I think it could work, but there's a lot of factors that at least give me pause. Now there's the final question I wanted to wrap up with, you know, Lindor coming, coming in, Carrasco coming in, the potential of any one of these guys that we just talked about, because I think we both agree the Mets are not done. Is there a concern about building a quote unquote all-star team? I think there is a concern if you're going to keep going for star after star after star. I mean, how often do we see this happen and it just fall flat? Seems like it always does. I think the Mets are only adding one true star this offseason, and that was Lindor. If they're able to fill starting pitching, bullpen, and center field, like tell me they can get a Jackie Bradley Jr. in center who can provide elite defense and just so, so bad. But if you look at the rest of the lineup, can you support batting him eighth and just whatever he gives you offensively is sweet. But if he keeps playing elite center field defense, it helps. Right. And then a, a flyer on a one-year deal on a Kluber or a Paxton, and then a Brad Hand. I'm coming away thinking the Mets' first offseason under Steve Cohen was a wild success. And a, maybe more than a wild card berth, maybe a World Series win for the Mets, possibly. It could happen. You know, they'll have enough pieces that it could work. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, in a long baseball season, it's who's healthiest. And we'll, we'll see We'll see what the 2021 season even, even is. And the Mets are on their way to building an absolute house of a team. Take a minute and enjoy the fact that the Mets made probably one of the biggest trades in the last 15 years. Yeah, for sure. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. You got it, Danielle. Anytime. And here's Mike McCann with an update. Danielle McCann. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The fan. WFAN. Good morning, everybody. If you're just waking up right now at 5.06 in the morning here in New York City, I'm Danielle McCartan with you guys until 6 a.m. Bob Salter comes your way at that point in time. Uh, We have had a very, very, very busy night, which is always great. It's been a very busy week in New York sports. We've had two great guests tonight. We are rolling right along in the final hour here on the program. We've got, wow, lots of calls on on hold, and and I really want to get right to them. Um, however, we do. I do have to reset the table a little bit here for everybody that is just tuning in that was not possibly listening at 2 a.m. So here we go. Um, we started off the night by talking about, um, obviously, the, the super wild card weekend, three games that we had. I love the three games. Um, not to mention the fact that, uh, huh, huh, let me dust the, the dirt off my shoulder here. I had the three-game parlay. I hit it $5, you know, whatever. Not It's not big, but I, I did pick the... Most notably, the upset uh, Rams over the Seahawks. I did have that. Most sim- simply for the fact that the Giants went to Seattle and made the Seahawks look human. And that's really why I went with the Rams. Because I feel if the Giants can do it, 
uh, I felt that that the Rams were just a better, more talented team than the Giants, you know, on paper anyway. So there's that. I was right. So I was three for three yesterday, and uh, I gave you the picks. I'm going all the fav- favorites right down the line um, for Sunday's games as well. So if you wanted to, to bet along with me, there it is, okay? Uh, I, I know earlier in the week I put a poll out. You know, I, it's so funny how you guys – you guys, oh, I got like almost 200 votes of what, what I should, what shirt I should wear for this weekend, which is great. I love it. Um, and it was a landslide Mets, right? And then, of course, the passing of of Tommy Lasorda. I decided to change it up. I asked for permission from you guys first on Twitter at Coach M C C A R T A N. And if you have Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. But um, tonight, I'm sitting here in a Italia baseball official t shirt and an LA Dodgers cap, actually. And, um, I never met uh, Tommy Lasorda, but I'm taking the Italian-American route here. He's from Abruzzo, which is where my dad's side of the family is from. Inducted into the National Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame in 1989, which I actually went to go visit when I went to the, the uh, see the White Sox Stadium, which is now, it's not Comerica Park anymore. I did see the original Comerica Park home plate, though. I took a picture um, with it in the parking lot there. Um, it's a, what is it, guaranteed rate park or something now? Um, people in Chicago hate the name, by the way. Um, but Lasorda was an invaluable resource to the Italian American baseball community, including to our Italian American baseball foundation ever since its inception, really. So I said uh, at the open and I'll say it again now, riposa in pace, Senor Lasorda. So we went from the West coast to the East coast and I played for you, Taylor Swift, welcome to New York. And I only dust that song off for the true superstars, superstars with staying power, um, I think the last time I was trying to remember, was it Joe Judge that I played it for or was it Sabrina Ionescu possibly? But I'm definitely dusting it off. I did already for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. The Mets Thursday afternoon pulled off one of the biggest trades in Mets history. I mean, they sent prospects Isaiah Green and Josh Wolf, and two major league starters, Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez, to Cleveland for Lindor. And really, true, number two, I would almost – Peg him as a 1B starter, Carlos Carrasco. We got into that, how Carlos Carrasco ha- is coming off one of the best statistical seasons of his career despite the record. And I think Mets fans know that um, the record isn't always indicative of how well or poorly your your pitcher is pitching. And I always point to, or allude to at least, the, the DeGrom Cy Young candidacy. And I think Mets fans know it well, okay? And I think they understand that what was it? A three and four record is, was not indicative of how he pitched last year. So, um, you know, that being diagnosed with cancer coming back from winning the AL comeback player of the year, I think Carrasco is, is a, an invaluable addition to the Mets team in what he can bring off the field. And of course on the field as well. And we did talk about that as well. And then the other thing was, you know, in that Taylor Swift song, she sings the lights are so bright, but they never blind me. Lindor, specifically out of the two was built to play baseball in New York city. I mean, I have the feeling that he is going to take that spotlight and shine it on himself in a good way. And he's just going to relish in it. And he brings an energy. He brings an excitement to this team already full of it. And I point to players like Jeff McNeil and and Brandon, since we're in the Italian mode here, Brandon Nemo, which by the way, Jared Porter did a masterful job in retaining so far, because if you think back and I went back to my notes when the first grumblings of the Lindor trade, um, you know, in November came to light, Andy Martino said that, I think it was Andy, or was it Tim Healy? One of the two of them said that the Cleveland Indians 
were starting and ending the deal with with Jeff McNeil. And boy, have ta- how times have changed. So, um, you know, shortstop defensively had been a major Achilles heel for the New York Mets. And I think Lindor represents, uh, let's go um, mythological here, Lindor re- represents the River Sticks. And he's taken that entire team for a dip. And he made one error last season. One! One error! And he and Carlos Correa were tied atop the top defensive fielding percentages for shortstops last season. And we just got a call, and I told you I would go back to it. And again, when this first started happening, I took a really deep dive statistical look at Lindor versus Rosario. But again, when it first started happening, we first started hearing about this, the Mets were under the ownership of the Wilpots. Now they are under the ownership of Steve Cohen. And it's a totally different ballgame, and no pun intended there. And so we have... Um, you know, the career numbers, and I can maybe just take a, a photo of this because I have it printed out here, but Lindor versus Rosario. Rosario took a major hit in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage last year, yes, by like 20 to 25 points on all, all of them. He went down in RBIs. He went down. He had no stolen bases. So, you know, he took a hit last year. He had a down year last year. Um, but even still, the, the the numbers are, even with that really terrible year, the numbers are, are comparable, really. Um, and so they're really close is what I'm trying to say. And even if you go back to the last full season, like 2019, Lindor, 74 RBIs. Rosario, 72. Lindor, 22 stolen bases. Rosario, 19. It, it, it's it's the star power. It's the pop in the bat because Lindor over the last two seasons is what we're talking about. Over the last two seasons has hit double the amount of home runs as Ahmed Rosario has. So, yeah, I'm not saying Rosario is equal to the superstar Lindor, but, you know, what we talked about, I mean, at least offensively, but we, what we talked about was the price tags for each player. Let me remind you that Rosario is obviously still in arbitration, and he's making a fraction of the price of Lindor. So this represents to me two mentalities. The Mets are going for it, whereas the the Cleveland Indians are thinking like, okay, Maybe they took a look at these same numbers. Maybe they were listening to my show that and I, I don't know. But maybe they're looking at these numbers and saying, well, you know what? We can maybe make something out of Ahmed Rosario. So there, there it is. Then that was the big news out of Mets camp. Obviously, the big news out of the Jets camp this week. I played for you Michael Buble. Uh, I, what's the name of the song? It's a new dawn. It's a new day. Something like that. The Jets. Oh, feeling good. Thanks, Pat. Feeling good by Michael Buble. The Jets plane landed at Newark Airport at 8.04 p.m. Sunday night. Evening, I guess. The best news that a Jets fan could ever ask for broke at almost exactly, it was 61 minutes later, 9.05 p.m. The Jets fired Adam Guru. It was a long time coming. If you're a fan of my show, you know it. Bravo to Christopher Johnson for getting out in front of it, not for not waiting till Black Monday to do it. It's time for the Jets to finally use that hashtag and embody it and take flight. It is the dawning of a new day. It is the dawning of a new life. And the Jets fans are feeling fine. I'm not a Michael Bublé fan, really. I like his Christmas stuff, I guess. But um, this song encapsulated some of what I wanted to say to you guys about the departure my feelings of the departure of Adam Guru. I also was mulling over these Carrie Underwood's renditions of Randy Travis, I told you so, because I told you so right here for two years that the guy was never a good hire and that he was destroying this team from the inside out. 
I also considered Jason Derulo with a bunch of other people. It, it don't cry for me because there's not one single Jets fan crying over that man's departure. Maybe cool in the gang celebration I mulled over. It was also a choice because the hiring of a new coach is cause for celebration among Jets fans everywhere. But not just that. The fact that the Jets fans could be celebrating potentially so much more should they get it right this time around. And of course, there's the classic NSYNC, bye, bye, bye. Like, that was also a good one. But I ended up going with the Buble because I wanted to paint a picture of hope for the Jets because I really do think that they are going to get this right because gone are the days of being ranked last in all or most of the offensive categories. Gone are the days where you turn on the game and be surprised by a Jets win or a lead even. And gone are the days are looking up in the AFC East standings. Can you imagine a Jets team, if they do get this higher right, a team that will no longer be shipping out its best talent to playoff contenders um, as it had under Adam Guru's tutelage? Can you imagine a Jets team to be a destination for the top free agents in the league? Can you imagine a Jets team that no one wants to meet in the playoffs? The Jets are on the precipice of turning this around and they cannot afford to get it wrong this time. And Adam Guru, after starting 0-13, he left a parting gift, which is not the number one overall pick. He could potentially have set this franchise back a whole entire decade. You know this is a head coach in a quarterback league. I don't need to tell Jets fans. They looked at Bill Belichick and Tom Brady for the past 19 seasons. 19 years. That's 60% of my life. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, there's. with that said, there's six openings. I'm going to give you my top choices right now for the Jets um, based on who they have interviewed and who they will be interviewing officially. One, Eric Bieniemy, but I would be concerned that he would be like, yeah, you know, you, you passed me over last, se- uh, last time around and you hired the disgrace of Adam Gase. Yeah, I'm interviewing with you, but no thanks. That would be my main concern with Eric Bieniemy. Otherwise, he's number one on my list. And the question I asked was, the only concern I have with him, I mean, what he's done with the Chiefs is, you know, you know. You know. But what my only concern with him would be is how much or what percentage is he involved in the you know play design, play calling, because, again, it's Andy Reid's team. You know that. Um, and I asked the, I guess, rhetorical, or maybe you want to call up and tell me the answer to this question, did – Kansas City make Eric Bieniemy, or did Eric Bieniemy make the Kansas City offense what it is? You know what I'm saying? Um, is it or is it reciprocal? Choice C. Is it re- a reciprocal action here? So he would be my number one choice for the Jets opening right now. And by the way, you know, out of respect to Adam Gase, we, they, me on this show, we did not speculate on any names until the, there was a vacancy. And this is the first time I'm on the air where there is a vacancy. So here we go. Eric Bieniemy one. Number two, and he's quickly rising up my little my little board here. Brian Dabble, Dable, sorry, Brian Dable from the Buffalo Bills, the offensive coordinator from the Bills. Based on the fact that you know he had Josh Allen, and he made Josh Allen, you know, into I don't want to use the word superstar, but a very very top quarterback in this league, and just the development of Josh Allen under him really would make me want to consider him, um, especially with the you know. The Bills, they don't have a really great rushing attack. It's like, you know, estimating down the list, it's like bottom third, bottom quarter of the league. I mean, it's just right underneath the Gi- the 
the Giants. They're comparable to the Giants in their rushing attack. So you have a quarterback, you have a stud-wide receiver, and that's kind of what the Jets are in position to have. So I think from moving from Buffalo to New York, it, it, the same philosophy would kind of sort of apply. And, of course, the Giants, we all thought, everybody thought here that the Giants were going to be playing football um, sat- in the Saturday night game versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they did their, their their part, and, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles had that massive, massively embarrassing tank job, and we can talk about that as well. More of your calls, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan in New York City until 6 a.m., everybody. Join us tomorrow morning on Boomer and Geo. We'll react to all the wild card games. And do the Mets have another surprise for us? Hopefully it's a super wild card weekend as they've been promising. And we have a lot of great games to talk about. We'll also talk about the Jets head coaching search. Plus, as Geo just said, all those Mets, are they going to give us another gift? Boomer and Geo, 6 to 10 a.m. with the warm-up show with Alan Jerry starting at 5 right here on The Fan. Middle school me doing the bye 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 dance in my chair here in the Mike Francesa studio. I don't want to see out. Th- I want to see out that door, Adam Gase. Bye bye bye. See ya. Would want to be ya, Adam Gase. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Thank you very much. The Jets. You have to get this right this time around. Is it enemy Is it Dable? Those are my two top picks. I just got a funny tweet that just made me laugh at Rick J Brody. He said, "Obvious question, but." If the Giants' ability to make Seattle look ordinary encouraged you to bet on the Rams, why didn't what the Jets did to the Rams stop you? You know, I don't know. I just didn't consider it. And I just, every, I won one bet. I, I couldn't get a read on the Jets this year. I won one bet all season with the New York Jets. Um, so I, I, though, was on target with the Giants all season. I guess that's kind of why I went that way, but... Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't have the answer to it. Okay, let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Okay, in the order that you guys called, Tom in North Brunswick. Hey, thanks for hanging on there, Tom. What do you got for me today, this morning? Okay, uh, uh, good morning, Danielle. You know, uh, there's a good song. I'm, I'll bring up Cloud Nine by The Temptations. <laughs> that's another good one. <laughs> this week, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm in, like, they call sports the candy store. I'm going to lock myself, considering what's going on in the world in this country, I'm going to lock myself in the candy store and, uh, and. <laughs> hey, this is a stick to sports show. You're in the right spot there, Tom. You know what I mean? When I heard the Lindor trade, I was, uh, I almost uh, hit my head in the ceiling. And then, uh, I, and then I, I, I just thought they just got him. And Carrasco thrown in was a great thing too. He's a good pitcher. <laughs> I know. And, uh. You know, this is it's unbelievable how uh, the trade. This would have never happened if the Wilpons on the team. Why? Just they, because you know, they, they wouldn't have tried it, or just because of fate? Yeah, and and remember now, uh, I th- I think the now you know the Yankees are a great team, and they're always going to be in the mix. But you, you know why I think the Mets may take over the town soon. I'm not saying this year, but pretty soon, mm. because you know you got an owner that spent 143 million dollars on a painting. So I don't think he's going to worry too much about the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. Maybe this year, because of all the other owners, uh, you know. But uh, you know, there's this. This is incredible. And real quick on the uh, Adam Gase, yeah. thank you. You know, I, I I hate putting down anybody, but uh, I'm with you. I, I you and I think alike. Eric the enemy. That's who I want. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know. Yep. And, and uh, you know, because this team has been so, it's been so long that they've been, you know, they, they have a, a nine draft picks. Mm-hmm. They have, um, 
you know, a lot of money, uh, you know, with, under the salary cap. A lot of money. They've got to get it right pretty soon. And, you know, the, the Mets are my favorite team of all, you know, I'm a huge baseball fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think great things are coming. But the Jets and even the Knicks look like they're starting to wake up a little bit. Who would have thought about the value of playing defense in, in the NBA? <laughs> works Works wonders, doesn't it there, Tom? Yeah, it does. And you know what? The Knicks have uh, – they don't have any superstars, but they – and they never have an identity. Well, with Tom Thibodeau, you know, it, the identity could be defense. It's grit. It's defense. It absolutely – not could be. It already is. It's grit. It's defense. It's grinding out every single point. That's what it is. Offensive rebounds. I, the Knicks are fun to watch. i got to be honest with you. The Knicks are way more yeah, fun to watch than the Nets are. They are. And, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 and I, it would be nice to – to, uh, for the Knicks to come to life, and then maybe they can prove that you don't have to have superstars to win. Well, I mean, I know you do, but you, you do. know what I mean? I, you know, <laughs> if you play defense and you... Right. You know? In Tom, and, and thanks but, for... Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, re- real quick, um, you know, but, but uh, you know, this this is unbelievable with the Mets. I, I cannot wait till baseball season because baseball is my number one sport. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm extremely excited, and I and my comment about the uh, I respect the Yankees, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they're always going to be good. But remember, in the '80s, the Yankees were good, but the Mets, uh, you know, I don't like talking. <laughs> I don't want to irritate Yankee fans. And real, I'm sorry, real quick, I on uh, Tommy Lasorda. Yes, Tommy. you have to hear the interview when Dave Kingman hit three home runs. It's the funniest interview you'd ever hear because okay. you see it on YouTube. Have a nice day today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that, Tom. Thanks for that. Um yeah, what I wanted to say, I didn't mean to cut him off, but what I want what I wanted to say was about the Knicks playing defense. Um you need stars to win in the NBA. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's the way the league is. You need more than I I it was plural. You need more than one. Two to three, definitely two, possibly three stars to win. That doesn't mean to say that any of these Knicks can't be stars. Julius Randle is showing you that he is a star, an all-star caliber player right now. But the Knicks, in playing this defense, they have established an identity. They have set the tone for any incoming free agents so that if you don't play defense, maybe you're not going to fit on that team. Maybe you're going to ride the bench, and maybe you don't want to consider the Knicks. That's the tone that Tom Thibodeau has set, and, and I'm okay with it. The Knicks are fun to watch. Um, they're they're in it. They're pretty much in every single game. I, I think I might have missed one game. I think I've seen them all. Nets ones too. I think I missed two Nets games. But I've watched them start to finish. The Knicks are turning the corner, and and the culture that they have set up, you know, that the buzzword culture, the culture that they have set up there will be attractive to any sort of incoming free agent um, that likes to work. I would like to play for Tom Thibodeau over uh, over Steve Nash. That's just the kind of player that I was. Let's go to Mike in West Palm Beach. Mike, what's up? Buongiorno, professore. Buongiorno. Buongiorno, buona mattina. Uh, grazie, grazie. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, I got to give a shout out, first of all, to Pat, you know, while I was waiting on deck. You know, you, you guys make a great one two combination. Yeah, I uh, agree. You know, Thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, I mentioned to Pat about, I don't know, 15 years ago, the Dodgers, the last year of 60 years, they trained at uh, Vero Beach. Okay. And I was down um, visiting friends, spring training, and I was there. And Lasorda playing the Mets at Port St. Lucie. I see him coming out of a town car, and I got a ball from Vero Beach. Asked him if he could, you know, autograph it for my for mm-hmm. my son, all about my dad. Long time crazy Brooklyn Dodger fan mm-hmm. and, and then crazy Met fan, and that was pretty cool. So uh, bleed Dodger blue. You know how many uh, great uh, Hall of Famers have uh, have passed the last uh, number of months? 
But, um, you know, I, I heard your opening monologue, Danielle, mm-hmm. and it was great. You know, you made a couple of smart bets. Dead President uh, Abe Lincoln bet. $5 bet. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't go much more than that. 10 is like my max. 20 if I'm okay. really feeling dangerous like Baker Mayfield. But that's it. <laughs> that's reasonable. Yeah, that that's very reasonable. Um, so much to say. You know, Cohen, uh, when that trade was made, you know, I was at the 69 series when I was 15. The 73 series. Pete Rose dust up at second base, but Harrison was at that game. So classic games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my friends were texting me. I'm texting them. And we got the new George Steinbrenner in, in, in New York baseball. Okay. Because he's not afraid to spend. Mm-hmm. He's a one percenter. He's a billionaire, uh, a longtime uh, a Mets fan. And that was funny with that call before. I don't think he's worried about luxury tax when, when you pay, you know, uh, yeah. X millions for, for a painting. But, um, um, uh, about the Yankees, Danielle. No, no offense to Yankee fans out there, but um, you know George Steinbrenner baseball was always uh, long-term contracts, an all-star at every position. Okay, and um, why did they wait so long? And he was uh, speaking about that. Maybe Lemayu, you know, he's playing a serious poker game, and he's waiting for the highest offer. Maybe he doesn't want to wear the pinstripe uniform. Who knows? Um, but, um, well, and question- but Mike, though, they're saying that, you know, all the reports are, it's like they want them. He wants them. It's just a matter of time. But it's like at one point, how many other teams have to get involved for the point where he's like, you know what? The Yankees don't really value me. They might be they might be pissing him off. Like, who knows? Like, exactly. you know, exactly right. If he can get the money elsewhere. Well, well, then why wouldn't he? There are there are plenty of other teams that like the Dodgers that are more that are interested in him and more poised to win a World Series than the Yankees are. I hate to say right. it, but it's true. It is true, and you get the nail on the head. You know why are the Yankees waiting so long? But mm. you know maybe Lemayu. I've always used this expression. He's just waiting for the highest offer, dead presidents. Mm-hmm. You know he's going for the dead presidents or, or the green. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? I texted uh, Ralph earlier and see if he's up in time to, to give you a buzz, uh, the coach from Long Beach. Um, and I'm glad. Did you make the softball team at Boomers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Boomer came in here uh, a couple, two Good. weeks ago, and he was asking what position I play. So I think that I think I, I think I'm in. <laughs> well, I hope you show up uh, some people and I'm not going to mention it on the air. Um, but Boomer, you know, my dad was friends with Boomer's uh, high school coach. He Steislip, played golf. But Boomer won the uh, Call Your Stremsky Award his senior year. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to do, and you mentioned it, now nah, you don't want to piss at some of these, some of these dudes. And those, those aluminum bats I've been saying for years, they're, they're lethal weapons. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a ball player. It just has uh, how, how they've evolved over the years. It's like they're like composite. They're not even aluminum anymore. They're like composite bats. Oh, yeah. If you notice um, – you know, I got friends that are still coaching Little League. Uh, I read an article a couple of months ago. These, these uh, kids, seven, eight years old, Little League, they fashion like, um, you know, face masks. You can clip them on the bill of their cap. But, um, you know, it, it's still, uh, it, it's still, you know, uh, a conundrum. Yeah. Uh, and it's dangerous. Um, last thing, uh, Danielle, uh, I'm glad the Bills won. Um, and I'm glad uh, Gase uh, walked the plank and got wet. And you said it many times. As a longtime Jet fan, I said to friends, where are the tight ends on the Jets? Yes. Don't they have any tight ends? Mm-hmm. Kyle, you know? I think back to Kyle Brady was one. Uh, Anthony Becht. You know, like, let's get back to those days. That is such a security blanket for a quarterback. I mean, yes. Tom Brady's got three of them, for crying out loud. 
Exactly. It's like, uh, you know, they, they need a total of some of that. They need a total from, from top to bottom, a total restructure, you know. Yeah. Um, but this is and, the time to do it. They've got so many draft picks. They've got so much cap room. This this is the precipice. This is the dawn of the new day for the Jets if they could just get this head coach hire correct. Yeah, to just get the pieces, in, you know, of the puzzle in place because total restructuring. Um, uh, the last thing, Danielle, when the Jets were playing well, and here comes uh, Belichick and the Patriots, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, when Belichick uh, goes into the Hall of Fame, um, which he will, the first ballot, you know, maybe he'll bring a little case with him, that damn number two pencil that he's got above his left ear. Maybe that can go in a Hall of Fame, too. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Instead of that, Mike, I, I want the sweatshirt, the three-quarter sleeve sweatshirt to go in. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's right. All right, uh, Danielle, it's, it's getting close to the end of your show. Yep. Uh, always good listening to you. And I always leave you with this. Uh, you got serious mojo behind the microphone. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Danielle. All the best. All right. Talk to you next week. Next week. All right, Danielle. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, all great points there. Uh, like, literally all great points. It's just, what are the Jets going to do at quarterback now? You know, they keep saying, the Johnsons and, and the Joe Douglases have been saying, listen, you know, it's up to the new head coach. But, man, I would like to see what Sam Darnold could do with one more year with some sort of a weapon around him, like a tight end, like uh, a formidable running back, or even not running back, a rushing attack. As you can see with the Giants, you know, running back by committee, it's working for them too. So uh, I'm not ready to, to, to give up on Sam Darnold. I'm really not because you could see what, what Josh Allen has done with Stephon Diggs. I mean, come on. Stephon Diggs is... is Top three. Top three wide receiver. Can we all agree on that? Top three wide receiver in the game. And look what he's doing with him. You know, the guy goes up that makes contested catches, which is what the Jets... I love wide receivers that make contested catches. And I'm just seeing one right now on the TV. I mean, he goes across the middle, and he makes a contested catch, and he gets blown up. That's Stephon Diggs. That's what the Jets need. They need a guy like that. They really don't have a guy like that on their roster. And Sam Darnold would benefit from a guy like that as well in addition to uh, a formidable running game like the Bills have. The Bills have, like I said, a bottom third at best running game. That's fine. They have a mobile quarterback. So do the Jets. Hate to break it to you. And one stud wide receiver, I think the Jets, it's it's not that far off. It's really not. We are careening towards the end of the show, so get aboard if um, if you're considering it. Pick up the phone, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on the fan until 6 a.m. Bob Salter comes your way then. Wild Card Weekend continues today with another big triple header beginning at 1230 with Baltimore at Tennessee, followed by Chicago at New Orleans and wrapping up with Cleveland at Pittsburgh. All here on the fan. Sports Radio 1019 WFAN-FM. You guys know it. This is the Pat Boyle special. That means this is your last chance to get aboard, everybody. McCartan after midnight has shifted to McCartan in the morning. It is super wild card Sunday. It's it, It's been an exciting slate of games on the Saturday games. I don't know if the Sunday games are going to be as close or as closely contested. Probably, if I had to guess, it'd be the, the, the Cleveland-Pittsburgh one would be my guess. 
Um, Pat and I, we, we went through our picks before. We are both, even though he's a Browns fan, we are both going straight down the favorites, um, the favorites column on this Sunday, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Wild Card Sunday. Uh, e. Frank in Astoria, you're on the fan. Yes. Uh, hi, and good morning, Daniel, and a happy new year. Happy new year to you too, E. Frank. Good to hear from you. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm just uh, calling because uh, I wanted to ask you, since you have a very good uh, record of being exact with many things over the years, Mm -hmm. uh, who do you think that might end up in the NFC uh, championship game? Do you think maybe it's New Orleans? Hmm. You know, I'm not crazy on New Orleans just because of, of, of Drew Brees and, and the injury. I, he, you know he's playing hurt. They've mentioned the R-word retirement pretty openly. I just, I'm not crazy about them. I'm really not. I, I, I think, I, you know, I think it's going to come down to the Green Bay Packers versus the Tampa Bay Bucks, And I think the Packers end up winning, actually. And, uh, Danielle, I want to ask you one more thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the Jets uh, goes, do you believe that maybe uh, bringing someone that knows uh, the former head coach of the Jets, Todd Bowles, uh, is he in contention, someone that knows Todd Bowles and his regime back uh, during the days, like uh, I think uh, the former offensive coordinator at that time? Uh, I forgot what his name was. No, I don't want any Jets retreads. I want to start fresh. I want a, I want a new perspective, um, and that's that, you know. All right. All right. Well, th- well thanks for the call there, Frank. Uh, let's go to Sparky in Dobbs Ferry. If you guys want to get aboard, 877-337-6666. We are uh, slowly, or quickly, actually, approaching the end of the show here. So if, if, it, if your phone is, is burning in your pocket, go ahead and pick it up, 877-337-6666. Sparky! Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Sparky? Okay, I like the fact that you brought up Tommy Lasorda. Hey, I'm wearing my Dodgers blue hat today. I heard. I heard at the beginning of the show. (laughs) Now, now, with Tommy Lasorda, I actually went to Game 3 of the 1978 World Series when he was the Dodger manager. Sparky, I knew this was going to be a historically relevant good call, so go ahead. Okay, and that was the game where Greg Nettles made all the plays. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, as far as Tommy Lasorda goes to me, his best point as a manager was the fact you could see a man who totally loved his job. I mean, Coach? yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, he's very, oh, okay. yeah, I thought you were going to continue. Yeah, sorry, no, very no, passionate okay. guy. Yeah, very now, knowledgeable, okay. of course. And um, Well-respected. Now, the Lindor trade... In many ways, Coach, that exact same trade happened last year when the Red Sox gave away Mookie Betts mm-hmm. to the Dodgers. Because mm-hmm. you know what? You're looking at two guys who are like at the similar point in their careers. They're both hitting their prime. And if they stay healthy, you're looking at two guys who are probably on their way to the Hall of Fame. You know, we'll see. We'll see. But it, it is they are parallel Deals, I'll give you that for sure, Sparky. Yes, and guess and, what? And it worked out for Mookie Betts. He won a World Series, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Hey, for Tommy Lasorda, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it also that Lindor trade does. It also gives free potential free agents the idea. You know what? The Mets might be a good place to go. They really care about winning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and 
Now with the Yankees, I think the way their team is, they might be forced to go go over the luxury tax because the way the team's constructed right now, obviously the LeMayu thing gets me sick like it does you. They might have gone as far as they could possibly go with this team. Well, they're they're already at. I think it's the they're definitely at the first level of luxury tax. I, I almost want to say they're towing the second or even third level of luxury tax. So that's where the hesitation know, comes in. Because you know, coach, what's sad though is the way this team is. They really might have gone as far as they can go. Because if you look every year in the playoffs, once they hit a team that has a little better pitcher than the previous team, it's yeah. like they look like they lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. It's it's because it's and Sparky, thanks for the call. I just I got a full bank here. I gotta I gotta keep it moving. Okay, but thank you, you have a great day, Danielle. Yeah, I talk to you next week. All right, bye. Um, yeah, and that's because it's once they hit better better pitching, once they run into better pitching, it's the mentality at the plate that needs to change. We talk about it every single week. The Yankees need to become contact hitters, not strikeout home run hitters. And that falls on the shoulders of Brian Cashman. So those of you guys on hold, I'm just going to ask you, if you could just keep it to one topic. We got back music coming in in about like six minutes. So I just want to make sure everybody has a voice. You guys will get on. I know it. But if you could just keep it to one topic, that would be great. Lenny in Long Island, you're on the fan. I think you're a genius. You're the only one who's talking about the possibility that Cleveland may have made a good trade under the circumstances. Correct. I, I saw Rosario in Binghamton. He was a man among boys. The problem with Rosario, I was told, was Met coaching did not teach him a game plan when he comes up to bat or mm. when he's on the bases. Interesting. With Jimenez, he led the Arizona Fall League in batting. He's yes. a good fielder. Uh, he's a, he's going to be a terrific leadoff man. And that's the story. And finally, I don't think they should go for Springer. I think they get Jackie Bradley, a defensive center fielder, come up with a third baseman. And you can't go into the season with Edwin Diaz as your closer and think that you're going to win that uh, National League division. Totally that's agree. the story. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Lenny. And thanks for, for being so succinct there. And I think what I said before is I think, you know, the, the Cleveland Indians are, are – going to, or were even not going to but they were speculating on potential the potential of Rosario the potential of Jimenez to become better players and that's where they are as a team that's just where they are you look at the statistical numbers between Lindor and Rosario i mean they they were close you know in many categories they were close there are obviously separating factors between the two of them but for the Indians right now taking on Rosario still in arbitration it's not a bad move and, and thanks. I appreciate the props for being one of the only ones to talk about that. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, Lenny, in Fort Lauderdale, you're on the fan, Lenny. Hey, how's it going? What's up? Uh, all right, quickly, uh, Lindor, to me, it's the best trade they've made since Gary Carter. He's definitely going to be the missing piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Brings that great enthusiasm to the team. I love seeing that. And uh, I love it. I just hope that uh, he doesn't get caught up in the clubs of Corona and uh and um, around that way, you know, the Latin players come to New York. Sometimes they get caught up in going to the New York clubs. I don't know. He just seems so very trouble. positive. He, I don't. Yeah, you know, he I really don't know. doesn't. He's got that great backstory of his um, of his sister. They had a thirty thirty about him. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. I'll check it out. It's very good. And then uh, quickly, a quick song about uh, Adam Gaze. Yes. Or Adam Guru. Yeah. Hit the road, Jack. Hit the road, Jack. I love there you it. Go. And don't you come back. <laughs> That's it. That's I love it. it Lenny. All right, I'll continue. You guys get the next caller. All right, Lenny. I'll, I'll listen next week. Love Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Love Bye-bye. you too, Lenny. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, 
That's a great song. See, there's so many songs. I think Jets fans are just so, I don't know, elated is the word. And listen, I'm not, all right, the guy lost his job. Okay, okay, that, that's that's bad. That's terrible. It's just I'm looking at it from a Jets perspective of they've ridded themselves of this guy who has been holding them back, who has forced their quarterback to regress over the years that he's been here in New York. It's just time to just turn the page and finally get this right. You've got Joe Douglas leading the charge. You've got the Johnsons backing his every move, it sounds like, based on the press conferences that I watched. The Jets are in a good position, everybody. Trust in Joe Douglas. He's got plenty of experience in the league. He's got Super Bowls with the two of the teams he came to uh, came with uh, before the the um, the Jets. He's got a Super Bowl with the Ravens. He's got a Super Bowl with the Eagles. He's got a wide net. He's got a lot of contacts, and he seems like he's a good enough guy. So that's that's good for the Jets. Very good. Hey, uh, Sam in Hackensack, you're on the fan, Sam. Hi, Danielle. What's up? I think the Jets should definitely consider Lincoln Riley of Oklahoma. Uh, why? A lot of his, some of his better players are hitting the transfer portal, and there's rumors down there that Lincoln Riley may be taking a pro job. All right. If that's the pro, he's a better version of Matt Rule, and we see what Matt Rule did. Hmm. My other point. Um, hmm. You should definitely Google the Stuttering John interviews with Tommy Lasorda. Okay. You're fantastic. Okay, I will. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. Of course, yeah. And Sam, thanks for calling. Thanks for keeping it short. Um, listen, I, I, I don't like the idea of, of going for a, a, a collegiate quarterback. I just don't. I mean, a collegiate uh, head coach. I just don't. I just think the, the plan for the Jets needs to be someone that has been you know, around, who who has played at the NFL level, who has a network of guys to bring with him, or girls, or women, like Katie Sowers, like for example. Um, but I, I just, I'm done with the experiment. I, I just want someone to come in there and just own it, and just be that guy who can be that CEO of a team. So when you look at, I hate to compare Jets and Jets, but when you look at the hire of Joe Judge, it's it's a it's a it's a grand slam. What's higher than a grand slam? That's what that hire was. That's what the Jets need. They need somebody. I don't care what his back is. It defensive like Robert uh, Sala. That's fine. Is it offensive like Eric Bieniemy or uh, uh, Dable? That's fine. Because Joe Judge is, is. Don't forget, Joe Judge is a uh, is a special teams guy. I mean, a special teams guy. Right? Scoff at it. I'm sure. But I'm telling you guys, I, I, I don't I, I don't think the Jets are in position to, to to try out these guys coming from college. They're in a position where they need somebody to to work alongside the GM to hit on on you know I want to say nine out of nine draft picks, but I know that's not possible. But to hit out of a majority of the draft picks to be able to to go out and scout some high end talent, a free agent talent to come to this team. That you can't do that if you're a college coach. I'm sorry, you just can't be that. Attractive. I'm sorry, you just can't. Jeff in Fairview, you are on the fan, Jeff. Hello, Danielle. Two quick things. Yeah. I'm glad Jamal Adams lost. I'm a Jeff fan. <laughs> and the second thing is, you hear Troy Aikman, what he said? He said that he played against two great players, Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor. I did hear that. He and he said, said Aaron Donald. Donald. Yep, I heard the that. the best he's ever seen. Yep. That's something big. Yep. That I was mean, a huge. Whole, whole I know. Famous. I know. So, yeah, I know right, that, that was huge. Know. Yeah, Jeff, I appreciate that. And good catch there on the broadcast. Yeah. He, Troy Aikman, Hall of Famer, said that Aaron Donald is better than those guys that he mentioned. That, I, I you know, I, I was 
I stopped and I was like, wow, that's a huge statement to make. I mean, of course, I would love to get Troy Aikman on the show to ask him more in depth about that, of course. But, you know. Um, and then, you know, another name I just wanted to bring up before anybody else did because I found it, you know, on my own. Um, Marvin Lewis. I'm not very excited about him. I'll just put that out there. But he was a, a you know, I did pro and cons for for everybody. And we could talk more next week. But he was a defensive coordinator with the 2000 Ravens who beat the Giants in the Super Bowl. You know that. Great defense. You know who was a scout for that 2000 Ravens team? Joe Douglas. So there may be a connection there. I hope it's not a strong connection, but, you know, there it is. Just so you, so you know that. Tuck, tuck that in your cap uh, moving forward. Here we go, Bob in Syosset. You might be the last one of the night here, Bob. What's up? Hi, Danielle. Uh, let's hope it's a great year, and let's hope that all the sports goes very well this year. I hope let's we can hope go to a baseball. game, Bob. Come on, let's go to a game. I know, I know. That's the starters. How about that? I know. We really got to hope for for the best for this upcoming year. But I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, real quick, uh, yeah. uh, all the New York uh, sports got really, really interesting. And the internal battles, you got the Knicks and the Nets. I'm glad the Knicks putting together a, a young team that is like a bunch of underdogs, really. Yeah. And you got the Mets and the Yankees battling now internally, right. and it's, it's very interesting. And then, uh, and of course, the baseball team. So you got the, you know, the baseball and the basketball and the football, and it's really, really interesting. And they all have potential. So, you know, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, you know, let's have a great year this year. Okay, Danielle? Yeah, thanks for that, Bob. And don't forget, Bob, that, that they have realigned the divisions or, you know, the conferences in, in hockey that – We've got hockey starting up this week as well, so it's like the the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils, I mean the Flyers will throw them in there. You know, they're all playing each other, what is it, eight times throughout the whole NHL season? I mean, that that is it is in of its own uh, an inherent or inborn rivalry about, if it's not already, it's about to get flare up. It's about to get worse. I don't want to use the word worse because that's like a negative connotation, but it's about to blow up in, in the best way. So this is an exciting time. You're right. You nailed it. Um, we've got, like you said, basketball competition between the two teams. We've got baseball competition between the two teams, and I think that's the biggest one. And, man, if the Jets can just nail this higher, bring them back from the brink of obscurity, we'll have some Jets and Giants competition too. And, again, you know, I feel like I can kind of sort of still root for, for all of them, the New York teams, because, you know, they all play in different conferences, really, mostly. I mean, basketball, okay, and hockey, sure. But, you know, this is a baseball town. This is a football town, I think. Anyway, um, but it's an exciting time, and I just hope for all of us that, that we could get out to a game sometime in this calendar year of 2021. I mean, I'm ready to get on a plane and go to, to, to Buffalo and pay for a ticket or whatever. And just one note, too, I just wanted to say, everybody's like, oh, what about your, your Dodgers hat? Because... My Dodgers hat um, is is representative of when I went to to, uh, the Dodger Stadium, and I get a hat every time I go to the stadiums. As you guys know, I want to travel to all of them. Hey, thanks to all of you guys. Could not have done this without you. I love coming here, talking with you all. Special thank you again to John Marks, co-host of the Afternoon Drive show at Sports Radio 94 WIP, our sister station in Philly. That was at 340. Joe DeMeo, SNY uh, contributor, host of the That's So Mets podcast at 440. Just go ahead and rewind all the way back to 2 a.m. Listen to the whole thing while you're at it. Great job to Pat tonight, as always, and to Mike McCann on the updates. Bob Salter is up next. In the meantime, you guys can hit my socials at Coach McCartan, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. Enjoy the games on this super wild card Sunday, and let's keep the conversation going all the way up until next week.
Sports Radio 101.